everyone, and welcome to The Filmcast, a podcast about movies. My name is David Chen, and no Mr. Bond, I expect you to podcast. Joining mm. me today is Devinder Hardwar. No Mr. Bond, I expect you to cry. <laughs> and Jeff Kanata. Well, now I feel like I need to do a no Mr. Bond, but instead <laughs> I'm going to say it has been made clear to me that I am the money penny in this situation. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even want to reflect on what that means. But sure. Anyway, okay. Uh, <laughs> those are, of course, references to the fact that today on the podcast we're going to be reviewing the newest James Bond movie, No Time to Die, with Mr. Phil Nobile Jr. from Fangoria. Uh, now we've actually already recorded that segment weeks ago. <laughs> And so now we're recording the first segment of the show and we're going to stitch them together and via podcast magic, yeah, it will be as though editing. this yeah. all happened in one at one time in one place. So uh, <laughs> if I hadn't pointed it out just now, you probably would have never guessed. But yeah, anyway, that's what we're no, going to do. Nobody, nobody taking anything seriously <laughs> from the review about like world affairs, you know, like current affairs, <laughs> countries going to war or anything. That was last week's news. OK, yes. No, 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 no. nothing's current. Yeah, exactly right. It's it's the no time that I review will seem so outdated to you. It's going to be ridiculous. Um, this is and, how this is how good the show has gotten that we have now taken time traveling as mm-hmm. one uh-huh. of our tasks in the podcast. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> it's impressive. Indeed. It's, yeah, it's just it's, level, uh, upping the level of difficulty. Indeed. Well, Lord knows we need to make things more difficult. Um, you can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slash filmcast at gmail.com. And uh, today uh, we're going to be talking about some what we've been watching and some weekly plugs before we get to our No Time to Die review. Also, for the After Dark, which is at patreon.com slash filmpodcast for all $10 plus uh, patrons, we are going to be reviewing the Netflix sensation Squid Game. This is a review a lot of people have been asking for, and we are so pleased to be able to dedicate a massive, massive quantity of time to Squid Game in the After Dark this week, again, available at patreon.com slash filmpodcast for all $10 and up donors. We are extremely grateful to all the folks over at Patreon for making this podcast possible. And Thank you. Uh, and Thank it allows you. us to dedicate more time to things like Squid Game. And uh, we got a Midnight Mass uh, After Dark coming out in the next few weeks that uh, we're really looking forward to as well. So uh, <laughs> it's really allowed us to like... Yeah. You know, dedicate, justify more, basically spending tens of hours watching these TV shows and uh, podcasting yeah. with them. So we're really grateful. I will for say, please, please stop with the very good prestige TV. It is uh, it, too it much. Is killing it's too me. much. It, it, it's it is. Killing me. It is a lot. It's a lot. It, it, it's actually overwhelming. Like honestly, it's a, I'm not it's even. Dude, yeah, straight up overwhelming. <laughs> there, <laughs> are, there are there are shows that in another era I would have been chomping at the bit for another episode and now another episode comes out and I was like I, I can't I can't another episode yeah. has already been I can't yeah I'm sorry. I haven't seen my daughter in weeks guys <laughs> I've, I've just been watching prestige tv I get to the weekend and I'm like I don't you know I, I'm over I it's the paradox of choice like I don't know what to watch <laughs> but I got through squid game I got through midnight mass and so I'm, I'm very grateful for that um but uh yeah squid game the after dark this week become a patron you can listen to our review all right Let's get to what we've been watching, folks. Uh, I have a few things I wanted to mention in what we've been watching. First, I had a chance to watch the movie Lamb. Ah, the sequel to Pig. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of like animal, there's a lot of like animal based movies this year. You got yeah. Pig, you got Lamb, you got Gunda, which is also about a pig. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Lamb is the latest entry. Now, Devendra, I assume you've seen the trailer. Jeff, I assume you have. I have seen the trailer. Yeah. I have not. 
Okay, well, I will try to be That's as a very vague... mysterious trailer. It's so, a very mysterious trailer. Yeah, it's this movie is uh, really weird, <laughs> and I think it's going to be extremely polarizing. Uh, it stars Numir Pass as one half of a, a childless couple living in rural Iceland, and basically, uh, a strange creature enters their lives, and and how they deal with it is going to determine their future mm. and their relationship with nature and so on. I thought the movie was. Very fascinating, beautifully shot. Is the creature shot. a lamb? Uh, you not, know, no Jeff, spoilers here. I'm not going not gonna to say anything. I'm, I'm going to try to respect your boundaries mm-hmm, as much mm-hmm, possible. Mm-hmm. I appreciate um, that. But it, you know, you, one could deduce that the title has something to do with that creature. It's mm. it's not impossible. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I thought uh, the movie <laughs> is is really well done, unique. It won like the prize of originality at Con this year. Yeah, and yeah. it definitely there's no, no other movie like it. No other movie like it. This movie may have to add a new notch to uh, to Jeff's uh, unsullied law here. Like we're we're gonna have to start uh, hiding movie titles from you. Guys. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It's about it's a nothing. lamb, and it's called Lamb. Yeah, oh, no, I think no, what's. What's interesting about this movie, the thing I can't stop thinking about with regards to Lamb is that this movie is both a perfect entry into the A24 canon of films and also <laughs> could be interpreted as a parody of an A24 film as well. Sure. Like, it sounds like an inscrutable horror movie. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's like it really walks that line between uh, like uh, it, it, characterizing this trend, this aesthetic, this tone, and also being a parody of it. Yeah, and the, the trailer I, could easily be an SNL sketch uh, brought yes, to you by A twenty four. Hundred percent. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. I I think it's, but I think it's really interesting. Numir Pass is awesome, and uh, it, it's not necessarily a movie I would like rush out into theaters to see. But it is one of those movies that like there's very little dialogue in it, right? Like mm-hmm. it's it, it's mostly wordless, and it's kind of a thing where. Uh, Divindra, I think we've talked about this in the past where like when you're in the theater it kind of forces you to pay attention and not look at your yes. phone you know what yep. I mean yep. in a way that if you watch this streaming you might be more tempted but you do get the gorgeous vistas of the Icelandic countryside in this movie to uh, to hold your interest in any case uh, I liked it uh, I, I can't really talk about it because you know a lot of spoilers but I, I would recommend it and um, if you can't see it in theaters definitely check it out when it hits video on demand which I assume will be pretty soon so I did hear one spoiler about the movie and just tell me if this is correct my understanding <laughs> is that the lamb has a dragon tattoo mm. Mm. no that's not that's not mm. true. pretty pretty rough that's a, joke that's a too, decades <laughs> old reference now wow <laughs> Icelandic countryside I don't know that's what and I was repas, yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 all right, VHS 94, <laughs> another movie I watched this week. Uh, oh, I'm looking forward to this one. Yeah. So this is available on Shudder, and it's the latest entry in the VHS series, which is kind of this found footage series of, uh, of films. Like it's, yeah. it's an anthology film that's made up of these short films that are uh, – mm-hmm. all these short films are made by these promising directors – and there uh, hasn't all, been one in a while. Like, yeah, this, feels this is like kind of a reboot been, of the mm-hmm. franchise. And I think it's called 94 because it's like, it, it theoretically takes place in 94. That's why there's VHS tapes around in the first place. Right. Uh, and, you know, I think that this is actually pretty cool. There's there's uh, the weakness of this. Here's a c- couple of the issues with this, is that, number one, uh, the book-ending segments uh, of most VHS movies are pretty bad in my mm-hmm. opinion. Like there's usually these bookending segments that kind of explain like, why are we finding these VHS tapes? You know, like, and 
and most of them are pretty rough. And this one is especially rough. When I started watching it, I was like, ooh, is this what the whole movie is going to be? If so, like, I don't know if I can <laughs> I can deal with this. Um, but s- several of the horror shorts are really well done. Uh, I am particularly a fan of uh, Timo Jahanto's segment, mm-hmm. which is just bonkers, wild. And, you know, if you, whatever you want to say about Timo Jahanto's work, uh, it is never boring. I'm never <laughs> bored when I watch his stuff. Uh, and he I is love a, the, uh, the titles of some of these segments too. It's, it's the veggie masher. Yes. Storm drain. <laughs> yeah. Storm drains. <laughs> a great like, one. It sounds, yeah. it sounds like infomercials. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Uh, but I really like Timo's also, uh, full disclosure. I believe Timo has been listening to us since at least 10 years. Ah, so, um, I don't know if he's, I, I think he probably fell off the, the film cast. I, I feel like he's ago. a little busy. He's a little busy making days. his, uh, train to Busan remake and stuff like that. But you know, yeah. uh, every now and then he has time to make fun of me on Twitter. And, uh, <laughs> anyway, I really enjoyed his segment. Um, one thing that's a little bit of a bummer is that it felt to me like some of these segments were not filmed on VHS, but filmed on like digital video and mm. they put like a VHS filter over it. You know what I mean? <laughs> And, and you were like, uh, were the were the others absolutely filled on VHS? I don't think so, but I mean, they, they, they they looked more like yeah. you know, like the uh, remember the the camera they shot twenty eight days later on. I think it was like sure. a Canon digital camera. Yeah, like the like, first good digital right, camera. First, for like, movie. Even if that's not VHS, it's like it's kind of very much of that rough aesthetic. And I, I just I don't know. I feel like you can kind of tell the difference. That said, mm-hmm, maybe mm-hmm. I don't know. They were all shot on VHS, and I'm completely wrong. But it felt to me like. Uh, this was less like we actually shot this on VHS and more like uh, we put a filter on some of these. Or something low grade. Um, But I I think that there is some quality horror filmmaking to be found here. And it's it's pretty fun. If you don't take it too seriously, I think it's pretty fun. So Mm -hmm. that's VHS 94. Super depressing to me that that's the year (laughs) I graduated from high school. Mm. Uh, nobody's saying joking. anything jeff nobody's saying joking. anything here no judgment <laughs> yeah no judgment no judgment Very yeah long time ago one day people won't even know what vhs tapes are yeah um so i saw i saw some today i saw some zoomer talk about 90s uh rom-coms as vintage rom-coms so we're <laughs> wow. all we're all the saving private well guys i mean right i think the biggest nightmare is that they are now making a show called that '90s show. Yeah, it's a yeah. it's a spinoff of that '70s show with with uh, yeah. Red with the same guy with, with Red Red Foreman, right? Yeah, yeah. but that '90s show. Red Smith. Yes, that '90s show. They're making. What, what 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 are the distinguishing characters? I mean, grunge. I guess is there. Everybody's wearing flannels and uh, yeah. growing their hair long. Uh, is that a lot still of, the a lot case of UFO Seattle, sightings? Way, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I don't know. Uh, so, I don't know what the, that '90s show is going to be about. <laughs> I feel like. I agree. I agree. Um, okay, so that's VHS 94. It's streaming on Shutter, and we're old. That's another thing that uh, we've been watching. Uh, I wanted to mention a couple other things real quick. Dave Chappelle's The Closer. Devendra, did you watch this thing? I have not seen this thing because I immediately heard <laughs> the, the the feedback, and if you guys rewind to the last time we've talked about some uh, Dave Chappelle specials, I was like, the the thing that keeps that keeps irking me is that this guy just is really not being great to the trans community. And apparently that is a major focus of this one. So I was like, no, thanks. Yeah. I I think there is uh, many other people who uh, are, have, have done a much better job and have a much more valuable perspective on this than, than I, and I would recommend Mm -hmm. you go check it out. I would say, for instance, Eric Deggins over at NPR. I would say Akilah Hughes uh, wrote a piece on Medium that I would strongly recommend. 
Um, and there's other people in the trans community that uh, have a lot to say about this special that uh, should be heard. Um, so all I can speak from is from my perspective as a uh, guy who used to be a huge fan of Dave Chappelle. You know, I watched uh, his special Killing Killing Them Softly, you know, many, sure. many times. Classic. like A, a yeah. dozen times. For what it's worth, I probably watched that special like 30 times. I loved that special. Sure. And we, were, we were in college when Chappelle's show was like at its prime. It oh was my like gosh. the dominating huge, huge. cultural humor. Yeah. This is my least favorite thing that he's made in the last two decades. It's, uh, I don't think it's, the, the the issue I have with it, other than it's politics, is that I just don't think it's particularly funny. He spends mm-hmm. most of the special complaining about how uh, he has been treated unfairly and about yeah. how, uh, you know, celebrities live in an extremely perilous time where they can be canceled. Uh, meanwhile, so, it's so perilous. He's cashing checks for tens of millions of dollars and being seen yeah. by millions of people on one of the biggest streaming platforms in the world. You, you just, just look at this guy, by the way, like look at Dave Chappelle right now. He is like buff. He's been working <laughs> out. He looks happy and healthy. Like he looks like he's in the prime of his life right now. Um, so it's always hilarious to hear the, the complaints about yeah, it's how just, hard it's just kind of sad because you're seeing someone yeah. who's, again, theoretically at the height of his powers and he's spending his time complaining about uh the trans community and and how they've basic and 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 how he he should have the right to tell whatever jokes he wants i just found it to be not particularly funny like that's that's the big mm-hmm. issue i have with it other than again the politics is that i don't think it's funny it it, it makes him look you know akila hughes i was reading her piece on it and he's like it, it he looked so small basically doing it and that's kind of right, how i felt right. about watching the closer on netflix his latest he, special he is one of the greatest talents like a com- comedic talents i think we have around right now and it is so sad to hear i'm gonna see this thing eventually probably but it just sounds like all punching down and man that his power before was him like deconstructing the madness of the world around us especially in the bush era you know in post 9 11 oh yeah thing yeah it, it was so good i mean uh, I also wanted to recommend this piece by Brian Broom over at Washington Post called Dave Chappelle Cannot Erase Me. Uh, and uh, I'll just read like a couple sentences from here. He says, in the closer, Chappelle treats equality as a zero-sum game in which some, though oppressed themselves, seem to be getting more equality than others. Oh, I think man. this is a dangerous game to play. Chappelle seems to believe in a dynamic in which it's black people versus gay and trans people, a belief that essentially erases the experiences of people who are black and queer. He seems to believe that the entirety of the queer community is white. Uh, end quote. Anyway, uh, again, another great piece by someone who is a far more valuable voice on this than myself. That's by Brian, Brian Broom. But um, I was very disappointed in Dave Chappelle's The Closer and just wanted to give that a mention. Uh, I also had a chance to meet up with a film cast listener named Jose. Hey. And, uh, you know, I, I've, I've had the fortune to connect with film cast listeners uh, over the years and uh, uh one of them is uh, this guy, Jose. I've been playing Call of Duty Warzone with him a lot. And w- during a recent Warzone game, he mentioned, hey, I'm going to be in Seattle. And by the way, I- I'm thinking of renting a private theater to see Titan. Mm-hmm. And I was like, heck yes. But then I said, are you going to be like a question? Are, are you, you going vaccinated? to be there? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> question, are you vaccinated? And also, are you yeah. going to be wearing a mask? And he says, which is fair. Yeah, he, he said, yes, me and my brother are vaccinated and we're both going to be wearing N95 masks. And I was like, I have found my people. 
Yeah, um, brother, brother, you have just uh, yeah created a party. You've made basically. an old podcaster very happy. Uh, <laughs> and so I went to go see Tatan with Jose and his brother yesterday uh, at the <laughs> AMC that is Seattle. A interesting movie to see with people you're just meeting for the first. Oh, time. Oh, you definitely want to meet people for the movie. first time and you show them yeah. Tatan. That's something yeah. you definitely want to do. Not uh, a first date movie, people. Yeah. So this is Julia Ducarno's uh, follow up to her movie Raw. And I, you know, Devinder and I both saw Raw. We both thought it was basically a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an incredible movie, and I was extremely psyched to see Tatan. Uh, and the entire and Devindra, I know you were very psyched about seeing Tatan, and we we're like, hey, let's figure out a way to try to do an epi- like an episode or an after dark on the show. And I, I swear, like a good twenty minutes of this po- of this watching this movie, <laughs> I was thinking to myself. I don't think Jeff can watch this movie, man. Like, <laughs> we're gonna have to protect Jeff. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I was like, I just don't. I don't know if I can force Jeff Kanata to watch this movie. That's that's literally how, how I spent a not insignificant <laughs> amount of my time watching this movie. Thinking there are a lot um, of red flags. We'll, yeah. we'll say I am. Uh, I am proud of the real estate that I occupy in your brain. Oh yeah, you you live rent free up there in my yeah. anti-Tatan space. <laughs> um, okay, so I, I don't even want to talk about the plot of Tatan at all. I'm just going to say that, uh, number one, I think I, I have never, I have rarely felt more alive watching a movie <laughs> than watching yeah, Tatan. Yeah. I don't okay. know, you don't how know to what's going to happen. Yeah. Well, yeah, you, you, you have no idea what's going to happen. It is completely unpredictable. And it is one of the most visceral experiences I've ever had in a theater. Uh, it is just. Whatever your mindset is, you are going to feel something. You know, it might be excitement, it might be disgust, it might be joy, it might be tenderness, but you are going to feel something when you watch this movie. Yeah, and it's not, not a subtle I, movie. This one, yeah, it is not subtle, and that's arguably to its detriment to some degree. But I, uh, that's what I mean when I f- feel, say I, feel, I felt alive. Jeff is like <laughs> the the entire film feels like a provocation. Yeah, and uh, I found it to be very invigorating, and also upsetting and disgusting to a large degree. Um, disgusting, not from a morality standpoint, just from like a visceral like reaction standpoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of body horror in you know, <clears throat> Julia Ducarno's movies, and so anyway, Devendra, I'm curious to hear. This is a movie you've been psyched for as well. What did you think of Tatan? Yeah, I was uh, I was I was so happy to see this. I pretty much got a screen to myself, so I was happy about that too. Um, it didn't wow me the way Raw did. I, I think Raw is a it's a movie about with characters you actually care about. Like there is like an arc to those characters, whereas Satan is just insanity. <laughs> this is one of the craziest movies I've ever seen. Yes, so yes, totally. Yeah, it, and, it is hard I think to you're alluding to anybody. the fact that it is very difficult. Yes, to sympathize with the protagonist. Yes, let's put, let's on put purpose. It that way. Yeah, yeah, on, on purpose. It, it is. It is deliberately designed to make it difficult to sympathize with the protagonist. Mm, and mm-hmm. uh, it, it, I don't know, it's you like, guys. You had me at body horror, <laughs> like body horror. What if uh, you know? What if we made a a movie that tried to humanize Michael Myers, uh, the killer, not the actor? You know, like that's basically if you had Michael Myers from Halloween, but you're also trying to humanize him at the same time. It is wild. So that's yeah. all I'll say. Yeah. It's really un- unpredictable and out there and unique. And I haven't seen anything like yeah. it. And beautiful. And it is absolutely beautiful. It's beautiful. Nice. Like there's so many yeah. shots in, in raw as well as this, as, as this movie, Titan. Mm-hmm. It's like, there's so many moments when you just want to like frame that, make it a mm-hmm. painting, put it on the wall. Like it's, it's, 
It's incredible. So I'm just so excited by her, like as a talent, yes. uh, by Julia DeCurno. Like she's done. I saw Raw. You know, she she only did one full movie. Uh, I, I see a TV movie on her credits, and she did a couple episodes of Servant. So I was really gl- glad to see yeah, her there. Yeah. But I cannot wait to see what she does next. She I is think she's like so a once exciting. in a generation talent. You know, Absolutely. like she's just really I- incredible. So uh, I I don't know if I would recommend this movie to everyone. In fact, most people I would actually actively say don't see it. Um, but I, I would never tell anybody not to see a specific movie, but I will say if you, true. if you saw raw and you were like, I need more of this insanity, yes. then yes. yes and if you saw raw great. and were like, this is way, extremely upsetting, like too upsetting. It's on the borderline for you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Then I can guarantee you Titan will be more upsetting, <laughs> um, than raw. So yeah. Uh, Raw is a great movie. I think it's available. Certainly, you can buy it right now. But it's on I, Netflix. It it's is on a Netflix yeah. So movie. Yeah. watch Raw and like if you haven't seen Raw on Netflix, check it out, and then that'll give you a really good gauge as to whether you want to watch Titan or not. I I, I can't imagine someone <laughs> not liking Raw and then liking Titan. You know, but maybe I mean, those people, people are, are weird. People maybe are those weird. Those people out there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, those are the things I have been watching this week. Hey, it's time for me to jump in here and tell you about our sponsor, Headspace. I can't think of a time in my life where I've thought more about the stresses of everyday living. And I'm guessing there's a lot of you out there listening who have had the same struggles, uh, that living healthier and happier lives, I think is a big priority for everybody. So what if a few minutes is all it took to change your relationship with stress and anxiety, to transform your life for the better. Well, that's the power of meditation with Headspace. Our own thoughts can be confusing enough. Meditation doesn't have to be. Headspace is your convenient dose of meditation, mindfulness, and sleep exercises to relieve stress and anxiety and help you get a good night's sleep all in one app making it easy to catch your breath and make time for your mental health. And it's one of the most science-backed meditation apps in the world, proving that meditation works. A study proves in just two weeks, Headspace can reduce your stress by 14%. Before Headspace, I'd been wanting to get into meditation, literally for years. I kept putting it off and putting it off. But having the Headspace app has really made it so that just a few minutes each day, I can let go of unnecessary stress and really deal with the anxiety of everyday life. It's amazing what having that structure there in the app does for making it into a habit, making it into something that I stick with and stay consistent with. So you can find your own headspace at headspace.com slash filmcast. You'll get one month free of their entire meditation library. This is the best Headspace offer available. Go to headspace.com slash filmcast today. You get to try it yourself. See if it's for you. Headspace.com slash the word filmcast. F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. That's headspace, H-E-A-D-S-B-A-C-E dot com slash filmcast. Devinder Hardware, what have you watched this week? I have finished up Ted Lasso season two, the finale just aired and uh, it it is something, you know, and it it has been quite a journey watching the public reaction to Ted Lasso season two, because uh, 
I, I have screener privilege and I'm going to say that up front. So I saw like the first half of the season kind of just like straight on. Like I would, it was so good. It was weird. And I knew it was going to like be controversial at times. And then to see um, kind of the discourse around the show kind of erupt because this season is weird guys. Like it, it is trying so hard to be different from season one, which was kind of a straightforward thing about, Hey, this like, you know, this really optimistic guy, is doing a crazy thing and it's try- and you know through the power of hope and optimism is trying to change people around him. This season does such a great job of reckoning with all that with the character of Ted Lasso. Um it does things and changes characters in ways that I think are genuinely upsetting and I think that um you know th- there was a lot of response to that. Uh it's it's cool though. It's cool that a show is like taking yes. chances, you know, yes. like that. Yeah. Exactly. And I, I think that's it. Like they did a brave thing like this show killed a dog in the first two minutes, like the first 30 <laughs> seconds of the opening episode, right? They were like, oh, you think we're just a happy-go-lucky show? You think we're just all about, like, uh, you know, lollipops and rainbows? Let's kill a dog! Ted Lasso! No rules! Um, yeah, this season, it seems like it's trying really hard to uh, maybe to, like, provoke you a little to make you think. And also push these characters in ways that I think are really interesting. So uh, yeah, I, I love the season. I am a big fan of like where things go, uh, where things went during it. And uh, you can hear me talk about uh, this for like two, over two hours, the lasso cast uh, with those folks at that podcast. So if you want to hear me dive deep into this season and the finale, go check that out. Very cool. That's Ted Lasso season two on Apple TV plus. Divin your heart or like me, it looks like you also finished Midnight Mass this week, yes? Absolutely. Um put put a if Mike Flanagan releases something, I am there. Like I'm there day one, ready to watch it. So this is his latest series for Netflix following uh The Haunting of Hill House and The Haunting of Bly Manor, both of which are shows I loved uh, for very, very different reasons. I think Hill House does a great job of showing like what Mike Flanagan does well. I think um, I've loved all of his projects. We've talked so much about Dr. Sleep and how well that movie worked. Uh, I, I don't, we talked about Gerald's game, right? Like I, I remember yeah, mentioning you mentioned that. it on, on what we've been watching before. I yeah. mentioned that like that, that is a lovely little thing on Netflix. And I think the conclusion I've come to is that he is basically the closest uh, working director and horror director we have right now who can basically do what Stephen King does in his movies. Whereas Stephen King's books, and you know this, Jeff, like he's all about like inner thoughts and what characters are thinking, right? And internal motivations. And it is really hard to do that um, in a visual medium. You can't just have people uh, doing voiceovers all the time or something. So I think he's, uh, Mike Flanagan has just done a great job of building horror stories um, around characters you care about. And he is a guy who always hits the emotions just right. He will make you cry while also making you terrified. And I just like love that combination of what he does. And he does this partially by often having characters go on to like long monologues about just anything, really. Like it, it could be like yeah. a, a really minor thing that somebody brings up and they they start talking for four or five minutes. That can get old. I think that was made. Uh, there have been a lot of parodies of that online. But I love the way he uses that tool to just unlock um an inner window into a lot of these characters. Uh, this show is about an island town, I think off the coast of Massachusetts. Um, and just weird things start happening. There is a new priest in town. 
Um, strange things start following, uh, start happening in the town. Like after he appears, it centers on a character uh, played by Zach Guilford. By the way, Zach Guilford, um, Saracen from Friday Night Lights. Seeing him in this show, and actually within the first few minutes, I was just reminded of like, my God, I miss seeing this guy on TV because he is such a tremendous actor. He's the sort of actor who does um, hurt puppy dog face, I think, better than a lot of other people. Like, you just want to give his characters a hug. So he is a guy at the beginning of the show. The setup is like he is apparently he was an irresponsible kind of like rich tech bro who was in a car accident who ended up killing a girl. And he goes back home and is just there after spending time in prison. And it starts with this being his story. And we start to learn about this town, the people there. Um, it's a very religious place. There is a sheriff played by Rahul Kohli, who I really love. He's from Bly Manor as well. Um, he is Muslim as well. So that he, there's like some tension there between him and the very like Christian folks in this town. Um, I'm not going to say too much about what happens. It's a show about faith and belief and the power that has like both for good, but also I, I think often for bad. So this is a show that genuinely explores that. And I just loved the twists and turns of all of it. I loved all these actors. And uh, shout out to Hamish Linklater, an actor who's been in so many things. Uh, he has a great never trust me face. And I think in this show <laughs> in particular, he uh, he does that very well. He's so, MVP, MVP of the show. So opinion. good. Hamish Linklater so good. is incredible. So uh, I agree, you know, I, I don't know about you guys, but when I watch shows these days, Sometimes it's happened frequently recently. Sometimes I'll reach a moment when I'm like, okay, like I'm gonna watch the rest of you show. You know, sure. like um, for Squid Game, it was after episode one. Like I was just like, I, I thought episode one of Squid Game was mm -hmm. incredible. I was just like, however bad this gets, <laughs> I am in this. You're in. I'm in yeah. this for the rest of the show. Um, this happened to me for Midnight Mass episode two. Uh, once I got to the end of episode two, I'm like, okay, I'm yeah. in. Yeah, and uh, I thought it was great as well. I do think it 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 does do a lot of telling rather than showing, mm -hmm. and that is uh, theoretically a uh, mark against it. But I loved it. Can't wait to talk with you guys more about it. Um, Jeff Kanata, can't wait for you to watch it. Yes. Yeah, um, but yeah, that's Midnight Mass. I was a fan. This is probably my favorite thing Mike Flanagan's done. I've watched Haunting of Hill House. I've watched Doctor Sleep. I've watched this. Yeah. Have you seen um, Bly Manor? No, I haven't. Yeah, um, that, yeah, that is a good one, but I feel like this is more focused and more effective. So, yeah, yeah. Have yeah. you seen Oculus? Both of no, you need to see no, Oculus. no, no. I've heard that's good as well. So, that yeah. was the thing that made me Oculus is a horror movie starring people who know they're in a horror movie, right? Like, they, they're very smart about things. And seeing basically that was the first thing I saw from him. I was like, this guy is just so smart. He knows exactly like what horror audiences want. We've seen so many things just kind of repeat horror tropes. That was like one of the first really smart horror films uh, I remember seeing in the past decade. So yeah, check that out, everybody, if you like this stuff. Yeah, Oculus and uh, Midnight Mass, what we were just talking about on Netflix. Jeff Kanata, what are you watching this week? Well, a couple of quick hits. I come to you once again, <laughs> mm -hmm. begging you to watch Only Murders in the Building. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's this is this uh, this is my. Uh, the good fight. You're, I'm just a I'm just a man spent standing in front of his podcast co-hosts. Yeah, asking them to watch only murders in the. Bible. I was doing the Bernie Sanders. Uh, I come to you once again, <laughs> asking 
for a chance to watch Burnley Murders in the Building. Listen, it, all all the big shows are done now, Jeff. Like it, it is finally time. Yeah, half an hour a week, yeah. guys. I've watched I've watched Squid Game. I've watched Midnight Mass. It's time to take on something like Only Murders yeah. in the Building. I think. I mean, this game, this show was being released uh, one episode a week, mm-hmm. half an hour a week. It was the perfect like little little uh, appetizer before the big meals of all those other shows you were talking about. Anyway, it is about podcasters. <laughs> And Ugh. it's so great, dude. The, episode seven, I don't even want to spoil a single thing about it, but it's really, I think, beautiful. Uh, and th- and then they do, do an episode that's sort of about their podcast getting big and how they have to interact <laughs> with people who listen to their podcast. <laughs> you guys need to watch it. All right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Watch I'm it. it. I'm into it. I'm into I, it. I think the thing was like, this is this is a show starring Steve Martin. This show is fine, right? This show doesn't necessarily need my support right away, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I'm generally looking forward. I to mean, you got to give that plus one to viewership yeah. that anyone show, somewhere else. I would argue that this show probably needs your support more than Midnight Mass. I mean, Midnight <laughs> Mass Squid is like Game. number four on Netflix today. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, Squid only Game is the, the most building watched is on Hulu. Netflix show of all time. It's, or it's more like it's on Hulu, and uh, yeah, nobody nobody ends up watching this. Thing. That's so you're right. That's what I'm saying. You got to you got to you got to throw your way behind. No name actors like Steve Martin and Martin Short <laughs> and Amy Ryan. You know, no, I get it. I get it. It's, uh, it's Selena it's Gomez. Very good. Right? Selena about, Gomez. Who's heard of her? She, she doesn't have a social media presence at all. Not so. at all. Anyway, the, guys, we were doing podcasts when you had to explain to someone what it was. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yep. And now yep. Steve Martin and Martin Short play. <laughs> Podcasters, enough on a with TV these celebrity show. podcasters. What am I? What have I been saying? You know, they're <laughs> just, just saying. E- eating up the entire market, guys. Yep, yep. How, how much did Jason Bateman's podcast get picked up for? Oh, eleven billion dollars. I think it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we anyway, uh, <laughs> thank you to all wait- our patrons at patreoncom <laughs> We're still waiting on that kind of coin, but you um, know, <laughs> thank you to our patrons. Hey, uh, in the same vein, in the same vein, <laughs> yep. I have recommended the other two. Have you either of you watched the other two? Yes, I've seen. Uh, I, actually I have not couple. seen it yet. Yeah. That is on my list, but below okay. Only Murders in the Building. Mm-hmm. Only Murders in the Building, I think, is <laughs> smart and clever and fun and and intermittently humorous. The other two is hilarious like hurt my sides <laughs> laughing so hard uh i am uh i am deep into season two at this point and there is uh there's a hashtag that comes up that made me laugh so hard i want to i want to <laughs> talk about it but i don't want to spoil it okay but the reason i bring this up directly after talking about only murders in the building is because there's an entire episode of the other two where the main, the you know, the other two is about uh, a brother and a sister of basically Justin Bieber, like this kid who's like rocketing to stardom, the biggest thing in the world, based on a YouTube video, and they're the two, you know, kind of screw up siblings that are trying to get their lives together in the in the shadow of his massive stardom. It's it's a cool premise, I think. Uh, and Molly Shannon plays the the sort of uh, stage mom behind all of them, and she kind of gets her own fame as well. But there's an entire episode where the brother, the sort of screw up brother, <laughs> he, 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 uh, you're just cracking yourself up. Man. Yeah, it's, it's great. funny. Yeah. It's great. He starts doing cameo. <laughs> and it's an entire episode uh, skewering 
cameo. Wow. And it is yeah. so perfect. <laughs> I'm sorry, wow. I mean, it is yeah. like looking at my life. It is so funny. It's, it starts with his agent telling him that he got him a cameo <laughs> with a big star, you know, on a, a, yeah, I got you a cameo. It's like, oh, that's amazing. And it turns amazing. out he, he literally bought him a cameo from uh, Ian Zerling or something, whatever, uh, <laughs> like wishing him a happy birthday or something. Wow. And then, um, and then he, so he decides to start his own cameo. And then like the rest of the episode is him like recording cameos for people. And as someone who happily is doing cameos you know thanks to my my good friend Danish Syed uh I uh <laughs> I, I I like I couldn't believe what I was watching it feels like the thing that's so funny about it is is it, this is a show about the industry about the entertainment industry about the business mm-hmm. so inside baseball that I don't know how people that haven't engaged with the business even get the jokes like it's mm-hmm. so it's mm-hmm. so inside baseball like all of it is like, like the how the machinations of the industry work and particularly that episode i was like this is making this is making fun of stuff that only people who do cameos think is funny <laughs> not uh-huh. people who have ordered a cameo or heard of cameo it's like it's making fun of very specific shit that <laughs> i know because i do cameos it's mm-hmm. so funny so funny I, I right. think the other two is is seriously one of the funniest sitcoms on TV right now. Half hour comedies on TV. It's it's brilliant. All right, if it's the other two or only Murders in the Building, which one do I start with, Jeff? You have to do both, dude. It, it <laughs> depends on what not you want. Fair. It, te- it depends <laughs> on what you want. I mean, if you want like to really laugh and and to just have a great time, it's the other two. Mm-hmm. Uh, All right. I think I think the only Murders in the Building is is a is a more interesting, sophisticated kind of nuanced show that has a lot of really gorgeous sort of magical moments to it and the other two is just rip-roaringly funny in my opinion all right maybe it's got to go back and forth how about that yeah i got a homer simpson tingle just now are you ready to laugh (laughs) get off the stage you horrible man (laughs) (laughs) you know what's sad to me is like i feel like just we're, we're entering, you know, time yeah. when like people, you know, less people are going to get those Simpsons references. All, all Dude, my Simpsons no- knowledge is going to yeah. go to waste. Yeah, there's literally two decades of Simpsons episodes that I've never seen. You guys, I know. That's exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I can quote like like just happened. I can <laughs> yeah. quote lines from a very narrow, what has turned into a very narrow subset of. <laughs> there was a time when it was all the Simpsons episodes, yes. but yes. now it is a very narrow subset of Simpsons episodes. Well, you know what they say. There's no country for old men um, yeah. or Simpsons <laughs> lovers right. or old Simpsons lovers in this case. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, that's the other two and only murders in the building. Jeff Kanata, what else are you watching? Well, speaking of funny, fun animated shows, I discovered an animated show just kind of blopping around uh, <laughs> on, on my, you know, on my roundup of what's, what's what, new what on the doing? streaming services. Hmm? What were you doing, Jeff? I'm blopping, blopping, oh. just blopping okay. around. Okay. Sounds vaguely disgusting, but yeah, go ahead. Oh, I didn't have any pants on. Um, the, yeah, the, Thank you, Jeff. The uh, the FX on Hulu. I don't know. I I, I genuinely don't understand the. They, uh, they don't understand either. Don't yeah, worry. like is it? Yeah. I, I don't get it. I don't Did get it. I can't watch impeachment on yes. Hulu. It's yeah. not everything. That's so on it's FX. not everything. Yeah, and but some of it's not some... even on FX. It's just on yeah. FX on Hulu. 
Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. there though is where I discovered a show called Poorly Drawn Lines. Have yeah. you guys heard of this? Yeah. I've yeah. heard of the comic. Yeah, um, I hadn't. Poorly. I don't yeah. know how I missed the web comic, but it's based on a web comic, yeah. which mm -hmm. I've now started reading because I thought the show was so fun. I think uh, the web comic is, is delightful. Web comic yeah. is delightful, yeah. It, and the show is delightful too. There's no, as of right this second, uh, there's only two episodes released. Um, so I've watched both and very funny. My favorite thing about the show is that it is weird. Like super, it, it goes bonkers weird, which is a kind of comedy that I really like. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I'm into it. I mean, it's animation style. It's right there in the title, Poorly Drawn Lines. It's an animation yeah. style that's very minimalist, very, uh, uh, you know, almost crude. Mm. And, but but they get a lot out of it. And it's it's funny. I really like it. It's um, I'm, I'm totally into this now. I'm like reading the webcomic. And is, it, is it like Dr. Katz and home movies, like crudeness drawing? No, 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 I mean, no. It's crude okay. in the sense that like, it's just minimal. It's, it's, it's not, there's yeah. nothing like kind of shaky about it. It's just, um, as few strokes as possible to, you know, mm -hmm. give you the, uh, the image, you know, that there's like, it's, it's all animal, uh, anthropomorphized animals. Um, but it, it's funny. Like it, it, it like there's one gag where this cat, like everybody's name is Kevin or Jerry or Bill or Susie or whatever. And then there's cat <laughs> whose name is cat, which mm -hmm. that, you know, that's, that's funny. And there's a moment where like, like cat gets injured and it falls down face first, like splat on the ground. And everybody's like, Oh man, I hope cat's okay. And then they cut to cat and like, a pool of blood comes out from its face. And it's the first time the show has, has revealed that like cartoon violence can still be very dangerous in this world. And it's so funny. It's, it's, uh, I mean, I think the show gets, it goes completely off the rails and it, it, it's, it's silly and goofy and I'm into it. Poorly drawn lines. It's on, on Hulu. Cool. cool. Anything else you've been watching, Jeff? Yeah, one last thing I have to mention because so many people tweeted at me that I had to watch it and talk about it on the show as our show's only uh, slightly embarrassed uh, wrestling fan. Um, Escape the Undertaker has been released on Netflix. Are you guys aware of Escape the Undertaker? Mm -mm. Nope. No. Yeah, brand new release on Netflix. Brand new. You would never know. I had to search for it on, on on Netflix. You would never know. It is a uh, a brand new entry in their uh, expanding interactive content. So you are literally playing a uh, basically an, an old full motion video game from the nineties. You know, like a Sega CD. Uh, uh -huh. uh, what are those? You know. Uh, Yes, that's right. Mm -hmm. that's yeah, right. night, night. What was it called? Night, night trap. Night, night trap. trap. That's what I'm yeah. thinking of. It's that, but starring WWE superstars, uh, the New Day and the Undertaker. The premise here is the Undertaker lives in a big, scary mansion, and New Day. I don't know if you're aware of of, of New Day, but they're they're awesome. Uh, New Day rocks. Uh, they are a, a trio of very charming, uh, positive, very positive. Um, wrestlers uh kofi kingston and big e and um they, they are ridiculous and fun and they go uh to the undertaker's mansion to to get the urn which is the key to the undertaker's power of course we all uh -huh. know that yep and uh they think that it'll help them uh i don't know have more power i guess because it's the key to the undertaker's power 
Uh, and so uh, you guide them in this basically well, what, what amounts to an escape room of the Undertaker's mansion. And I can't imagine this was cheap, but it sure looks cheap. Uh, it's it, it very much reminds me of a full motion video uh, Sega CD <laughs> game like, oh, I don't know, Night Trap, which we just mentioned. Every, everything you're talking about now, Jeff, sounds like a fever dream. Like, it, it doesn't sound yeah, real. What? It does. It does seem that way. Um, I <laughs> and the Undertaker was there, and yeah. they was there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and and dude, you joke, but there is no way you can exaggerate it that it uh-huh. won't be also accurate. Like, there's a moment where one of them sticks their arm into an alligator's mouth to try to get a key. Uh, there's a, a the Undertaker has like an old creepy mansion, but also it has like surveillance cameras and a old timey. Uh, clickety keyboard that he uses to keep track of everybody. And at one point, you know, if you pick the wrong thing, you know, it like a choose your own adventure, you'll get to you'll get to dead ends where you die or don't make it, and you have to start over. At one point, uh, if you guide Kofi Kingston into his inner sanctum by himself, the Undertaker comes out eating a bologna sandwich, <laughs> and then sees Kofi Kingston King, Kingston and is embarrassed that he's eating the bologna sandwich, and so he. It knocks Kofi Kingston out. <laughs> it's very weird. Despite all of that, it's a little bit charming. I mean, it's clearly made for like young kids. It's it's basically got the level of spooky, scary as like a Goosebumps or a right. you know. It, it's it's broad, goofy, intentionally goofy entertainment that's interactive, and it's like you know, it's the equivalent of those old WWF Saturday morning cartoons that was like wrestling for kids. I think that's what they're going for, and it mostly succeeds. I mean, it's it's skippable for everyone except the most, uh, you know, ardent <laughs> except fan for or, children and Jeff Kanata. Yeah, and you know, and me. But yeah, it it it's a uh, it's a thing that I watched. How long did you spend playing this? Well, it's only basically about a half an hour of content, and I okay, I. Uh, you know, but it's like you have to, you know, figure things out a, a little bit. It's either left or right. It's left or right, left or right, left or right. You know, this or that. And most of the time, there's no way to discern whether one of those is going to lead to not being sure. successful. But then the Undertaker comes out. And he's like, "You did it wrong. Maybe you should try again." I'm like, "Okay, Undertaker, I'll try again." Rest in peace. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah. So basically, I think we've all we can all agree. I. Wasted everyone's time for the last time. <laughs> <laughs> That's Escape the Undertaker, and it is available on Netflix, right? That's correct. All right, and that's what Jeff Kanata's been watching. That's what we've been watching this week. It's time for me to jump in here and tell you about our sponsor, Theragun. And this is a sponsor that has changed my life. It has become indispensable for both me and my wife. I am not kidding indispensable we rely on our theragun to get us through some days stress sleeping weird just uh, uncomfortable body aches and pains if you're an elite athlete or just someone like me who injures themselves sleeping which happens all the time if you're just trying to make it through the day theragun can help i'm here to tell you Because I do it. My wife and I live by this Theragun. I'm telling you, what is it? What is it? What is it? You're asking, what is it? Theragun is a handheld 
percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combo of depth, speed, and power. And it's as quiet as an electric toothbrush. This thing is magic. It looks like a science fiction film prop. It's got an OLED screen, the Gen 4 Theragun, and a design that is so cool and slick. It looks like it's from the future. You can check it out on the website. Uh, and then it's got an app. The Theragun app learns from your behaviors and suggests guided routines. So whether you want to treat your muscle tension from working out, from an injury, or just the stresses of everyday life, I'm telling you there is no substitute for the Theragun Gen 4. It doesn't just feel good. It gets to the source of the pain by releasing tension using Theragun's signature percussive therapy, which goes 60% deeper than vibration alone. We bought one of these for my father-in-law. My wife and I both believe in this. It is a lifesaver. Just a short amount of time using the Theragun, I feel so much better in my neck, my shoulders. You can use it on your legs and back. It is incredible. And it's trusted by 250 professional sports teams like Real Madrid and elite athletes like Paul George, DeAndre Hopkins, Maria Sharapova, hundreds of thousands of customers, and me. Me. Try Theragun for 30 days starting at only $199. Go to therabody.com slash filmcast right now and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's therabody.com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T therabody t-h-e-r-a-b-o-d-y dot com slash filmcast let's get to some weekly plugs weekly plugs of the part of the show each week where we recommend something we've made or that someone else has made that you should check out either way Let's get to it this week real quick before we get to our review of No Time to Die. Um, I had a chance to chat with the girl with the dragon tattoo herself, Numi Rapace, on the Culturally Relevant podcast. We talked about the movie Lamb and what it was like to make that movie. Nice. Uh, which it was like a very small crew. And obviously they had to interact with this creature that's kind of weird and interesting. And we talked all about that. Uh, check out that review. Very minor spoilers in that review, but you know, if you want to go in fresh, watch the movie and then check out the uh, the interview. Uh, but that's over on Culturally Relevant, the podcast. Doing your hardware, what's your weekly plug? Oh, I wanted to shout out the latest episode of the Engadget podcast. Uh, I mentioned last week I was spending a lot of time reviewing Windows 11 and uh, the Surface Studio, the Surface Laptop Studio. So we talk about that on this podcast. And uh, it's me and a bunch of other folks from Engadget, Sherlin Lowe and... Uh, you know, we have thoughts on Windows 11 and and kind of like where things are going. I think it's uh, I think it's kind of like a fake Windows update, basically, guys. Wow. Like, uh, I have a theory that Windows 11, the number, did not exist at the beginning of this year, and there was a lot of stuff happening where Microsoft basically had to save face and did a lot of work on this other thing for dual screen PCs, which uh, aren't aren't coming out anytime soon. So. I feel like they kind of pivoted to uh, to make this a thing for everybody. You could go here. I, I guess I think what you're saying there. is like it was it was probably like a point release for Windows 10 or something. It was like supposed that. to be Windows 10 X, that, which right. they announced two years ago. That was going to be on the Surface Neo and a bunch of things. And then we never saw any of those devices. And the pandemic also made it really hard for hardware makers to like do a lot of the work to test really new devices like that. Mm-hmm. So. I think those things will ha- will come eventually and Windows 11 will work really well on them. But at the same time, they saw an opportunity to 
kind of update things. And also, hey, everybody's buying computers now. So a good reason to force people who are running five or six year old computers to maybe update or something. So yeah, we, we talk a lot, all about that. And also we dive into the uh, the latest Facebook whistleblower and everything she is saying about that company and why Facebook is awful. So yeah, go check out that conversation. That woman's awesome. And also like, not obviously not only putting herself at great risk uh, professionally to do this, but uh, a pretty savvy PR person. Oh like, yeah. She, she knows exactly she, what she's doing. She is timing yeah. her leaks for maximum damage basically. And it's, it's, kind uh, of, it's great. It's fascinating to, to, to see. It's um, like she worked at a company that knew how to move the needle. <laughs> it's almost like that. Jeff Kanata, mm-hmm. your weekly plug. You may recall from when I was talking about the other two <laughs> that I have a cameo. Uh, Jeff Kanata on the cameo. It's uh, cameo.com slash Jeff Kanata, in fact. And you can hire me to uh, write you a limerick. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm selling original bespoke limericks to literally anyone uh, for any reason. And there's been uh, a number of really, really happy customers. I've gotten so many five-star reviews, people genuinely pleased with the results. So if you have any need for a, a limerick, sometimes we need a limerick. You have a need. I'm here. I'm here to help. Uh, it's good for birthdays. It's good for uh, anniversaries. I've announced the birth of children. I've announced uh, um, the uh, promotion at a, a job. I, I, there's no wrong way to communicate through Limerick. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm here for you at cameo.com slash Jeff Canada. Be sure to check those out. A couple other plugs for the program in general patreon.com slash film podcast if you want to support this podcast uh never contribute to us if it in any way causes you any financial hardship whatsoever uh but we are extremely grateful to all those who are able to help at patreon.com slash film podcast sign up for ad-free episodes and or uh after darks that are exclusive to the patreon page um i also want to give a shout out to hashtag slash tag which is how you can recommend things for us to watch on Twitter, just use the hashtag slash tag, and uh, every now and then people will take a look, and uh, we may uh, end up watching something on what we've been watching that you recommended. So those are some weekly plugs for the show. Let's get to our review of No Time to Die. James, fate draws us back together. Now your enemy is my enemy. His name is Seven. And what does he want? Revenge? Me? When her secret finds its way out, it'll be the death of you. You can imagine why I've come back to play. There's a young lady in Santiago I want you to meet. You're late. When you're ready. Salute. I met your new double O. She's a disarming young woman. I get why you shot him. Yeah, well, everyone tries at least once. James Bond. We both eradicate people to make the world a better place. I just want to be a little tidier. That was from the trailer for No Time to Die, the newest film featuring James Bond, starring Daniel Craig. I would usually read the plot summary at this time, 
But I, I'm not going to do that because I think no. it's actually possible to go into it's this movie. It's a James Bond movie. Yeah. It, it also <laughs> doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. Do you not thank know you what you're getting with a James yeah. Bond movie? I mean, I would argue that this movie does some different things than a typical James well, Bond movie. But let's let's the skip plot the plot. Yeah, yeah. James we'll, we'll Bond does James Bond shit. <laughs> How many we'll, countries does he visit within ten minutes? Yeah. <laughs> we will skip the plot summary for today. Thank you, Jeff. Um, and joining us today. For our review of No Time to Die, he is the editor-in-chief of Fangoria magazine. He's the executive producer of the documentary Horror Noir, A History of Black Horror. And he's also a regular panelist on James Bond and Friends, a podcast about James Bond. Phil Nobile Jr., welcome to the Filmcast. How are you doing today, Phil? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Hello. Phil, as an expert on James Bond, as an expert on James Bond movies... The plot summary is James Bond does James Bond shit, right? right, right. Am I crazy uh, on that I don't, I, Did you watch this movie, though? Or? Oh, no, no, I did not. <laughs> There's a lot of that. <laughs> so, Phil Nobile Jr., before we get into th- this movie, uh, I've been following a kind of Twitter performance that you've been doing over the course of the last <laughs> two years, um, which is you have a two-year-long Twitter thread about yeah. No Time to Die, correct? Yeah, I didn't plan for that, but I just started adding to the thread, and and then it turned into a running joke, and then I'm sort of I worked through it being not funny anymore, back to being funny. You know how you know you just write a bit until it's funny again. Those the best uh, bits. Those yes, the best bits. Yes. Funny, not funny, funny. I love those bits. Yeah, Honestly, but, it feels more like a thread about Spectre and your feelings about Spectre and how you're like dealing with them, which mm, I also have. There yeah. might be a month of that in there somewhere, yeah. but you know, it's a it's, That's it's the beginning that hits me every time. Yeah, April. Oh yeah, you know why? It's it, for whatever reason Twitter like. Yep. sort of like anchors that one but that's a good year into the thread it mm-hmm. started with the first leaked photos from jamaica in april of 2019 and i was very excited about the first photos from jamaica uh and i just kept it going but you know the thing the thing of that if that thread means anything it it has to represent <laughs> my my strongly held belief that sometimes the anticipation of a bond film is the best part of a bond film that oh, was yes. certainly the case with specter you get up at five in the morning for the title reveal that's happening in Pinewood or whatever. Uh, but they, was, this was like edging. Like this just this just kept going for two and a half years. Well, yeah, because the, the, the pandemic, it was supposed to come out, I think, what, April of 2020, if I recall correctly, Well, right? you, you know, it depends on where you want to start counting the clock. It was supposed to come out in 2019 when Danny Boyle was directing it, mm-hmm. and then that <laughs> fell apart. Right. And then they regrouped, and they got a new director, and uh, then, then the next... Uh, a premiere date was March 31st, 2020 in London. I, I love the strategy ticket. of this thread, by the way, Phil, wow. because it's sort of like uh, we talk about the unsullied lifestyle here uh, on this show. And mm. I love the idea uh, unsullied of meaning the, like you never watch yeah, a trailer. You don't you watch never, any never watch promotional anything. materials. Like that that is Jeff's that church. Yeah. Yes. Um, but for me, this is a sort, sort of like slow sully where I'm like, mm, <laughs> yes, give me, give me some of that. Because yeah. no matter what happens with the movie, I have years of uh, just enjoying all these little tidbits, you know. <laughs> yeah, you know those little those little endorphin hits sometimes are yeah. the, the real the real good part. Uh, depending on how you how you feel about the final film, mm-hmm. I like the the opposite of unsullied is edging. Um, <laughs> well, there there's I full sullied where you spoil everything, but this is in between, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, I have a question for you, Phil. I, you the you talk about this anticipation for a Bond film being being huge and waking up for the title reveal and all that. I think that probably represents uh, a level of commitment to this franchise that most people don't have. Mm. So I'm curious what what it is about Bond that draws you to it so strongly. 
I don't know. It's it's a hard thing to explain because I I was not present for the Pierce Brosnan era. I kind of ah. tapped out in my in my late teens after Dalton, um, and then I mean not to get too maudlin, but basically uh, Craig's run started right after my dad passed away, and you know. Uh, Bond and your dad's, that's just a thing mm. strung into our DNA, totally. I think, yeah. if you're yeah. a certain generation. So I've sort of been like enjoying these movies in his stead. And then the irony of it was that I thought it was going to be like the movies that I went to see with my dad, these romp, you know, Roger Moore romps. And uh, they turned out to be like this, this grief stricken avatar. <laughs> You know, he loses someone <laughs> yeah. in every movie. You're like he, he's in Quantum of Solace, cradling a guy with my dad's haircut as he as he dies. So it, it turned into a weird sort of a therapy. Maybe I don't know. Hmm. I think that's part of it. But I, I will say that I've been on record since the end of Skyfall, saying it's time for this Bond to have some fun. Mm. And, Interesting. Uh, so so it isn't just Bond as a franchise. It really is Daniel Craig's Bond for you. He he did reconnect me to this franchise in a way that uh, I hadn't I hadn't done as an adult. Interesting. Oh. Well, I would recommend you check out Phil's thread about James Bond. It, it's been fascinating to follow because I think I was following it for a while pre-COVID, right? And I was yes. like, oh, what a, what a fascinating little, little you know, a lot of little tidbits about the new movie here in this thread. And then when COVID hit, I was like, obviously, it's, it's been devastating to many of us for a variety of different reasons and in a variety of different degrees. But you kept the thread going and it felt... <laughs> Like there was some kind of, I don't know. Uh, there's, there's, some, there's. I will say that the anticipation of seeing this thread come to a close, assuming it does come to a close after this, never. Has, are you saying, has been, Dave? Are you saying this thread has a time to die? Hey, mm. indeed, indeed. Uh, I would say that it, it is almost matched by my anticipation of this movie. You know, wow. it's just like I'm, I'm, I, I'm glad that you finally are able to get some closure to this because honestly, like. So goes Bond, so goes the world, kind of, in some ways. Like, the fact that uh, it's out in theaters means, like, things are good enough, theoretically, that uh, some people, at least, can see it safely. Um, I don't know. But just just some assorted thoughts uh, on your uh, social media uh, activities. But let's get into the movie itself. <laughs> yes. We are going to try to be as vague as possible in the pre-spoiler section about what this movie is about, because the trailers have revealed very, very little about what's actually going on in this movie. Um, so uh, in our pre-spoiler section, Phil, walk us through what you thought about this movie. And also we, we are going to point out and, and talk more in spoilers about the fact that this is like Craig's last Bond film. I'm curious uh, how you found it to be in terms of like uh, a way to wrap up his time as the character. Wow. Um, I don't want to set the benchmark for what's a spoiler or not. So I'll do my best. But to me, what I wanted this film to do was I had a very specific wish list. It, I wanted him to have some fun. I wanted him to have some stakes. The second films, this uh, in Quantum of Solace, the stakes were to to make sure that the people of Bolivia had manageable water bills. So <laughs> Those are high stakes for Bolivia. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's not bad. High stakes <laughs> for Bolivia, but do I care? And then, um, and then the, you know, the stakes of the third one was to save the life of an old woman. He failed. Um, the old so, woman being Judy Dench, though. I mean, yes, come on. Yes, but she, you know, she had a good run. Uh, uh, have you seen? Have you seen Cats, Phil? You know, maybe your opinion would change if you had. I doubt it. Um, so <clears throat> I want. I wanted real big stakes. I wanted. Like, broadly, I said it would be cool if he saved the world finally. Uh, and then I wanted to just selfishly wanted to see him in his naval dress uniform because Connery got it. <laughs> <laughs> Pierce Brosnan got it. Yep, Roger Moore yep, got it. Yep. I just wanted to see him rock that uniform. And, you know, I got two out of three, I think, out of this film. 
there's a lot of fun in it. There's so, like some of the most fun moments that Craig has had in five movies are in this movie. Uh, it's very funny in parts. It's very entertaining in parts. Uh, the stakes are there. I don't, I think maybe to go beyond that is in the spoiler side of things. I don't know, mm-hmm. but the stakes are there. Um, he wears a kind of cool commando sweater, but it's not really a military <laughs> dress. But so close, so close, so close. Two out of three, right? So yeah. um, they call him Commander <laughs> Bond, at least to get that. Yes, that or was captain. That, that or whatever did it is. make yeah. my my neck hairs tingle. The <laughs> the uh, uh, if you want an opinion, I'll just say that to me it was frustrating because so much of the fun stuff was brushing up against what felt like some sort of. Uh, mandatory reverse engineered plot that that you know they'd already gone just down a road on and had to sort of cram into this film that Carrie Fukunaga showed up a little late to to execute. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, we will have more to say about the plot and all those things that Phil mentioned in spoilers. Devinder Hardor, hit us with your brief thoughts on No Time to Die. Oh yeah. Um, I, I think overall uh, this is a fitting end to the Daniel Craig era. Uh, which has mostly run either super hot or incredibly cold for me. I loved Casino Royale. I think that is, I still think that is one of the best action movies of the last couple decades. You know, it is, it, it took 100%. the born. Yeah. And, and it's also formula. interesting to reflect mm-hmm. on the fact that Mar- Martin Campbell rebooted Bond yep. twice, right? Like, Can he like, do it again? We forget about it. Again in a couple we forget years. about it, right? But yeah, he, <laughs> he did. He came in with GoldenEye with Pierce Brosnan, yep. which is a yep. great Bond film in my opinion. And then came back again with Daniel Craig and Casino Royale. And uh, yeah, it, it, like I remember uh, Devinder, I think Casino Royale came out when right around the time you and I met. Um, yeah, that's the, no, that's no, the no, bad news, guys. That was 2005, guys. man. That's oh, the okay. bad news, guys. A uh, uh, <laughs> couple of decades, Devinder does not cover it. We don't get it back does, far enough. It, it doesn't cover it. Listen, <laughs> it's um, from 2006. Short, shortly been, after we met. But yeah, I mean, it's uh, we. I remember us geeking out about that movie yeah. quite a bit. No, we were so... we were in college, but I think, uh, or out of college, actually, because uh, yeah. Casino came in 2000, 2006. So I remember like geeking out about it. But I think we also had conversations about like, what would it be if they kind of did Bond grittier? You yes. know, if they did yes. a Bond in the style of Bourne, and that's essentially what Casino Royale was. Uh, but what also still floors me about that movie is it's also very epic and sweeping and romantic and heartbreaking. It is so much of these things. And to me, it's sort of like the quintessential James Bond movie, which is like these these are superhero movies, basically. Right. He can do anything. He can go anywhere. His power is, uh, you know, the the reach of the British government and the ability to do whatever he wants. Um but also he, you know, he can basically, yeah, he's super powerful. He could do all sorts of things. I loathe Quantum of Solace, and we've talked about that quite a bit because that movie didn't have a script. It didn't really go anywhere. I love Skyfall. I know we disagree about that, Dave. I absolutely hated Spectre because mostly it's the same people who did Skyfall who basically couldn't keep it up, I think. Um, but I think what we learned from all of these is that it's pretty clear that the Bond formula can go stale, right? Like it's... This is a franchise that is what over 50 years old at this point. Like it is, it's, it's aging. And I think playing with that formula can be rewarding, which is what Casino Royale did. And, uh, and Skyfall did really well. I think no time to die definitely experiments more with bond than any other bond film mm. I've seen. I haven't yeah. seen like some of the, I've seen, I think I've seen all the Connery ones, but you know, there, there was like a template to those. Um, this just feels so unusual. There's not much action right? There's tons of melodrama. This movie is, I don't know, is it exactly three hours long or almost three, three hours? Two hours and 40 minutes? Yeah, 245. Really, really close there, but there's an emotional core that really ground everything, even when the plot doesn't make sense, and that happens quite a bit, and I, 
you know, this was one of my first screenings down here in Atlanta, too. I got to meet a couple film people around here. I met Matt Goldberg from Collider for the first time. Uh, so it was nice to be like back in the screening audience uh, and seeing it with like other people who are really who've been following the news and everything. I was just I was wrapped while watching this movie. I can't wait to see it again. And to me, like that is the ultimate sign of satisfaction from a movie. It's definitely going to be the most divisive uh, Daniel Craig Bond. But you know what? I think that's a good thing. It's fine. It's fine to disagree about a movie. And I'd rather a movie like this take chances and be boring like Spectre or completely nonsensical like Quantum of Solace. All right. Jeff Kanata, your thoughts on No Time to Die? I guess you could say my thoughts on No Time to Die are best summed up in the form of a limerick. You know, I'm not sure if Phil Nobile Jr. Uh, knows about <laughs> why you're doing a limerick on the show. Oh, this, is nope. not a, this is not just like a first time that you're doing this. No, 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 Phil. I have to apologize. Um, I do not want to do this. Uh, well, I'm doing it under yeah. duress. You're uh, actually in a, in like a James Bond. A you're in well, a Bond villain trap right now. I right? am right? in a Bond villain trap. You're Bond slowly villain. being lowered into sulfuric acid Yes, right the, now. the laser is headed right for my crotch. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. David Chen, our illustrious host, uh, has decreed that he will walk from this podcast. Make no mistake. He will blow up the moon if <laughs> a limerick is not in every episode. So it falls to me as the uh the double o in this situation mm. to uh mm-hmm. to make it happen i don't want to the audience this... doesn't like it no one enjoys this it's dave's <laughs> cruel he, as he pets his skinless cat yeah skinless? Listen, you, furless you skinless. take double o seven you <laughs> furless. Seven around furless. <laughs> wait a minute you've got double o l jeff you're double o l double o l for limerick yeah mm. uh, but that's just how bad it is phil this the cat has no skin mm. it's even like, worse this sounds like stalling i'm gonna be honest with you all right here, here's the limerick here's the limerick for no time to die here ready here we go. here we go the machinations of the plot are absurd and in the end what i would have preferred is a few scenes ejected so i'd be more connected because i ended up shaken not stirred okay Ooh. wow Nicely done, Jeff. That Nicely was very done. good. That was very Thank good. They I don't know where, where you end up one. on this movie, actually. But yeah. Well, I can't wait to talk about spoilers because I have a lot to yeah. say in the spoiler section. But I I will say this. Um, I think it's really cool if if the new template for a Bond arc has been now established by the Daniel Craig years because effectively what we got with casino royale was like a sort of bond begins right a in a pseudo yes. origin story to right. bond even though he was and pretty old by mo- then but yeah yeah <laughs> right but but it, it it tried to do it tried to do batman begins to bond right it tried to like mm-hmm. explain all the stuff give us all the people like set everything up that we all knew was already there like just knowing the way batman begin does begins does we know the Batman elements, but it's now trying to sort of set the table. And, and then we get a few movies of Bond and now we have the conclusion. So I think what could be really cool going forward, whomever they cast next as Bond, to do it in this way where we go, okay, we assume, th- we, we basically have these sort of self-contained Bond arcs. Right, right. And do, I do think the Spider-Man honestly, thing for all of them. 
Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, the, or, or the cast member determines like the arc. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you can have Bond as this abstraction almost, this uh this series of um uh of sort of cultural touchstones that he can access and reference. Uh like maybe basically like Batman. And but each time we cast a new one, it's it's its own universe, it's its own world, it's got its own quirks and details. Mm-hmm. And it can have a beginning, middle, and end. He's basically I, honestly, Batman. He's Batman who fucks. That's it. That's Bond. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we know that Batman doesn't go down on anybody. No, no, so. no. Um, be, the, uh, that was a joke, by the way, but continue. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want the angry emails. Go ahead, Jeff. <laughs> uh, Phil said an a, a interesting word. I think it was Phil who said it, an interesting word that I really resounded, uh, responded to, which is that it was uh, reverse engineered. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Um, I want to talk about that much more in detail in spoilers, but that is my biggest problem with this movie is that it feels reverse engineered from the beginning. And I wish they knew that it was going to be a Daniel Craig arc from movie one. Right. Right. This is sort of the, you know, star Wars trilogy problem is it, it, this movie has to do so much work to get where it needs to be, where it wants to be. Mm-hmm. And I think it was reverse engineered. It's like, well, we, we start yeah. with where we want to end up and we're going to work backwards and we have to do so much heavy lifting to get there because the previous movies didn't. And if the previous movies knew where they were headed, if this was constructed like a you know book trilogy or a movie, tri- whatever, if it was con- constructed as, as a journey for this Bond character instead of bespoke adventures... Uh, they sort of retroactively want to turn it into a journey for this Bond character, which is awesome, but it just requires the movie to do so much mm-hmm. work. And thus the two-hour, 45-minute runtime, which for me is it's just too much. It's just excessive. Like the yeah, movie yeah. feels heavy and bogged down, I think. There's tons of awesome in it. Tons of awesome. I mean – in the first, uh, the first like twenty minutes of this movie, I thought this is this could be one of the best Bond movies yes. ever. Uh, mm-hmm. Exactly my feeling too. I was watching. I was like, this is incredible. Yes, right? like the fir- the, yeah. the opening, the sort of pre credits opening. Yes, it, they do in a different way than any Bond movie has done, and is riveting. Um, it's like that first few minutes is scarier than Candyman. Any moment in Candyman, oh, because, yeah. it's a yeah. home invasion movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, and then it gets to like the first real Bond action sequence, which blows the doors off. It's just like top tier Bond mm-hmm. action sequence. It's like yes, yeah. yes. Um, and then the movie just like <laughs> grunts to a halt. Well, yes. that's when the movie begins. That's when the yeah. actual yeah. movie begins. Yeah. The, the melodrama, kind of as you said, the melodrama yeah. begins. And and it and it just it has so much to do. It's very ambitious. It really wants to do all these crazy things uh and, and and in a lot of ways it succeeds on updating the character in a way that i kind of thought might be impossible mm-hmm. um it, and it, it's admirable for its ambition but it, i think it just sort of collapses under the weight of that responsibility and it had other movies that could have offloaded yeah. that 
workload from, too. from the same writers too, which I think is yeah. a real uh, tragedy here, right? Like it's mostly it's Neil Purvis and Robert Ray uh, Wade, and then they're typically joined by like whoever's working on that specific movie. So it was like John Logan with uh, Skyfall Inspector, I believe. Um, but yeah, they they had the ability to set these blocks in place, and I'd argue if you watch Casino Royale, you watch Skyfall. You actually don't even need the basics of the setup here because the whole um, the whole thing with uh, Eva Green's character is still in your mind. You know, it's sort of like you're just confused by the mess of Quantum Solace Inspector, basically. I, yeah, I, mean, I, I would argue that to get the most enjoyment out of this film, you should be familiar with the plot details of Spectre. Um, I'm not saying you have to watch Spectre to watch this movie and enjoy it, but to get the most enjoyment. Uh, you should be familiar with those details. Anyway, sure. yeah. I, I'll just wrap up my thoughts and, and, and say that there's enough here that is really thrilling and fun and interesting to have it have it be a much more positive experience than I had with Spectre. Uh, but I, th- I think in a lot of ways, as ambitious as it is, it's still a bit of a missed opportunity. I think a leaner, um, less... I think if they had sort of honed in on, mm-hmm. and we'll, I want to step through this in spoilers, but if they had honed in on sort of the the real spine of what this movie is trying to do, and there's not been a hashtag so, that describes this entire family, but or, you know, like this entire show, uh, but it, it's not something we can really say in this. Yeah, yeah. Well, yes, and <laughs> I I kept, caught what you did. Uh, yes, and it, it, it without sort of needing to have the trappings that it felt the responsibility to have. I think it would have been a better movie. Anyway, we'll talk more in spoilers. Mm -hmm. It's time to thank one of our sponsors this week, Paint Your Life. I don't know about you folks, but I'm starting to spend a little bit more time with friends and family these days, and I'm very grateful for it. I found one of the best ways to hold on to these memories is by turning them into art that lasts forever from paintyourlife.com. At paintyourlife.com, you can get a professional hand-painted portrait created from any photo at a truly affordable price or combine photos of people or places you love into one painting. Choose from a team of world-class artists and work with them until every detail is perfect. They also have a really user-friendly platform that makes it easy to order a custom-made hand-painted portrait in less than five minutes. And speaking of speed, it's fast. You can get your portrait in as little as two weeks. One of the coolest things about PaintYourLife.com is the reaction that you get from people when they open up one of these gifts. Uh, they actually have videos at PaintYourLife.com. You can see like reaction videos of people opening up their paintings And it is actually very moving to see people get these gifts because I think they realize how much work goes into one of these things, how much thought goes into one of these things. And you can be that hero that gets your family or friends one of these presents from paintyourlife.com. Get that amazing reaction. It's going to be awesome. You're going to love it. They're going to love it. So at paintyourlife.com, there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded, guaranteed. And right now, as a limited time offer, Get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. To get the special offer, text the word FILM to 64000. That's FILM to 64000. Text FILM to 64000. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Terms apply. Available at paintyourlife.com slash terms. Again, text FILM to 64000. Couple quick thoughts for me, uh, Jeff. I, I agree with most of what you said. I feel like the first half of this movie was incredible. I was like, "This is on track to be like my favorite Bond film of all time." Yeah. And then it just completely loses steam in the second half, in my opinion, and gets really bogged down with some of these plot machinations that 
are just plainly like for me uninteresting compared to everything yeah. else. And you say um, second half, and that's the length of an entire movie. Yes, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly correct. I do think the movie is very ambitious. It tries to do a lot of things. It tries to modernize the Bond character. It tries to make this a fitting end for uh, Daniel Craig, and it tries to make this a uh, Daniel Craig's time as a character, and it tries to make this a fitting end for the arc of. Uh, this version of James Bond, which mm-hmm. it has been uh, a kind of a mess when you look at all of the movies. Like, as you said, it suffers from the Rise of Skywalker syndrome where like it's kind of, it, there doesn't seem to have been a grandmaster plan when they started. And you really feel that, I think, in this film. So yeah, this movie um, like, has a responsibility to like clean up that mess. Indeed, yep. that's right. Yep. Uh, it gives itself that responsibility. Yeah. And it's a tough responsibility. And uh, I think it succeeds to a, a mixed amount. But there's a lot of good in this movie as well. Um, you, you know, one of the most indelible images from this movie, for me actually, was, you know, at the beginnings of movies now, uh, they are having like the director come onto screen or an actor come onto screen and be like, uh-huh. thanks for coming to the movie, folks. You yeah. know, like, yeah. you know, we appreciate you coming to the movie. So they, I don't know if you guys saw, like Daniel Craig did in, one of these. Yes, in my screening, they they had an audio issue and we heard heard zero of it. Oh, And they okay. didn't get the audio going until the MGM logo. So Daniel Craig pops up and mm-hmm. he looks very tired, in my opinion. <laughs> and he's like, and he says, says something along the lines of like, well, folks, it's been a long journey, longer than any of us could have ever imagined. You know, so, something like that. And like, but finally, you're here to see No Time to Die, like on the big screen where it belongs. And I got to say, like, I really felt that, you know, like mm-hmm. I, I felt like I, I was kind of joking earlier about how like as as goes Bond, so goes the world. But like the fact that we were supposed to see this movie 18 months ago and are are now only getting to it is kind of a sign of like. You know, just this weird meta sign of all that we've been through over the last eighteen months. Um, and uh, I, crazy are, that uh, the title is what the title is right. too, with like the yeah. way the, all that all fits together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can't, I can't get over the the movie, all the posters, which is just no time to die, only in theaters. Yeah, which is the fear <laughs> running through my head for the past two years. Don't don't just say it. They just yeah. It's like they yeah. just tweeted it out. You know, they just tweeted it out. They just yeah. tweeted it out. Anyway, uh, all right. So we have a lot more to talk about. Let's get to spoilers for No Time to Die, starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. You're gonna see this coming. No, but you won't find it because, of course, they're not gonna see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want. Work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. You want to be fooled. Let's start with one of the biggest spoilers of all time, which is that James Bond dies at the they end. Did of this movie. Yeah. They did it. Yeah. They did it. They did it. They did it. Um and Phil Nobel Jr., I am very curious, like, what was your reaction to this? You know, you've been uh, anticipating this movie for years and Yes. They, and you're you're a big fan of the Craig Bond? I what think, was your reaction when they actually killed off Daniel Craig's Bond in this movie? I think I might have hated it. I I have to mm. sort of I have to sort of uh, I see I need to see it again. I need to sort of like contemplate it a little bit. I think uh, part of I'm going to sort of crib from my own review a little bit here uh, that's on Slash Film. But part part of my hangup is that it should work. Craig's mm-hmm. Bond has been. Uh, and, and this is very Fleming too. This goes back to the books, but his bond has always been preoccupied with time and with mortality and with his own finite existence, right? That's right out of Fleming. And it's always been missing from the film. So that's one of the things I was sort of excited about, about this run. 
So it stands to reason that there should be a defined conclusion like this. Um, I just didn't think they would do it. I I didn't mm-hmm. think they'd like uh, blow him up on camera um, with multiple missiles. Yeah, I was reminded of the the like one of the last shots of Hero, which I think is also like marked in my mind, just like thousands of arrows coming. Oh, you Hero, know. the uh, Jet Li movie. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. I, it reminded me honestly of. Um, I, I, I can't forget this, but Vince Gilligan talking about Breaking Bad. So spoilers mm-hmm. for Breaking Bad, mm-hmm. but he, he basically was like, there's there's a question of when Gus Fring in Breaking Bad, the show that I'm about to spoil, when Gus Fring dies, uh, they showed his face getting blown off, right? right. Yeah. And uh, I remember Vince Gilligan in all the behind the scenes talking about like how if you don't show him dying on screen, no one will believe it. No one will believe it. They'll be the, the audience will be like he got away somehow. Like the audience will be like he's such a genius. He figured out a way to get out yeah. of that. No body, and, no death. Correct. Yeah. So the only way to like definitively show it is if you show him actually getting exploded. Sure. And that is what they did in this. There's no doubt. Like, I thought, <laughs> I thought, oh, the, the missiles are going to come down. We're going to see explosion. Yeah. And then, yeah. like, the final sequence, we see, like, Bond's shadow in a door or something like that. But nope, they show the missile coming down and his body being consumed by the flames. In this yeah. Moment, right? <laughs> and that's, and, that's what threw me, because I thought they would give themselves some kind of backdoor similar to Dark Knight Rises or something like that. Or even, even in the novel, You Only Live Twice, where he... He is uh, believed to be dead on a Japanese island, and then there's a little epilogue where he's got amnesia, and you see that he's sort of living mm. his life of a quiet Japanese fisherman. Mm. Uh, but it's uh, yeah, th- that, that they did it on screen was weird, but just tonally, it just hit wrong for me. It just didn't. It was just a, a weird fit. Something in the execution, less than the idea of it, just mm-hmm. didn't feel correct to me. It's sort of like they felt like they had to do it rather than maybe it being truly organic because uh, it's, it's more haunting. It's more haunting if this guy who has been alone all his life, like basically hired as an orphan, no family or anything, has this like perfect little like bubble that he's in and then he can't touch them. You know, he can't he can't actually love them. And then he has to live his life forever being apart from the only people he loves. To me, that is actually more like at least more effective and haunting. Resonant, um, yeah. Yeah. But I feel like this is this brings me to my biggest criticism with the movie, which feels like they started with that idea. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like what's the thing that would be the worst thing for James Bond? Not being able to physically love on something, you know, like love sure. the, the people that he loves, right? Mm-hmm. How do we take that away from him? And then in order to get to that place, there is so much gymnastics uh, from a plot, from a, uh, justification point of view, it, it it's like, oh, I clearly see that this is a cool, powerful right. notion. But then they just killed him off at the end, right? Like, yeah. Well, then they yeah. just killed him. Well, they don't pay it off. I mean, they don't get, get any time to sort of live in right. that yeah. that difficulty. I don't even actually have a problem with that because it that landed on me that that's why he was willing to die. Right, is, yes. Is because, mm-hmm. like, yeah. what's there to live for? Right. But I feel like... So we work backwards from that, right? We go, we start with, okay, we want to take away his ability to kiss the woman he loves. Okay, well, we need to give him a woman he loves and a child that he (laughs) loves that feels so impactful. Okay, so now we have to work backwards and, and get him into this loving relationship. But unfortunately... It's James Bond, so he has to be able to flirt with pretty ladies throughout mm-hmm. the movie. So, okay, so we got to take away his wife for the largest portion of the movie so he's able to still be flirty, flirty Bond, which feels like mm-hmm. 
I can just uh, see that pro that yeah, backwards yeah. process. And it I feel like it made a weaker movie because okay, we need to have Bond be flirty flirty. I don't think that makes the movie better. And I also feel like him having that rift with his wife makes the movie worse, right? Mm, be, mm. The the if we had had a movie where he was in love and they were partners th throughout mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. then it's taken away yeah so much more powerful for sure so much sure. more powerful yeah the reverse I, engineering starts earlier it's it's a, it's a problem it's it's throwing good money after bad because there is no chemistry between him and madeline swan there was none inspector <laughs> uh -huh. you got her for an hour inspector and she's saying i love you you didn't buy it in that movie five years ago <laughs> six years ago pardon me yeah uh, and to to want us to be so invested in that uh relationship is is a bridge too far and and it's just it's not it's not hitting because it didn't work a film ago but you can't introduce a new person and make that arc happen now right. so again, especially when you then make her potentially betray or him in his mind betray him and like all of that stuff just weakens that that spine i think i yeah. think it's interesting though going back like first of all you mentioned the flirty flirty stuff jeff and it doesn't it doesn't actually work for him in this movie, because Anna yeah. de Armas' character, who I love, she is fantastic. Um, she She's like, okay, okay, oh, that's cute. You, you, you think I'm very, very pretty? I'm trying to do a job here. You know, yeah. like, she's trying to do a job. Lashana Lynch, like, just does not have time for his bullshit. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it's like, it, it is kind of funny because, like, his powers, like, his, his one, like, flirty bits just doesn't work anymore. Maybe because he's just, like, too old or the movie's just, like, just not having it. Uh, first of all, by the way, those side characters prove... This franchise can continue as a cinematic universe. You don't need Bond. Bond without Bond. Give me a Lasana Lynch movie. Have her team up with uh, Ana de Armas. Like, they are fantastic. I agree um, with that. In this movie. And I think I would watch the hell out of that. So, But they do try to have their cake and eat it, too. Yes, yes. Be because, I mean, you are supposed to feel that Bond, you know, that scene in the closet where he's, like, going to change his clothes and he has to turn around. And, yep. and then the, the other scene where Lashana Lynch, like, puts him on the motorcycle and puts his hands around her waist. Like all of that is, is it's trying there, to evoke classic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I yeah. recognize that, but I think in the context of the movie, the movie is also trying to have its cake and eat it too. Right. It's trying to be modern and show that, but also allow bond to have those bondy moments. I think. Absolutely. And I agree. The Madeline Swan stuff still doesn't quite work. Although I love Leia Sudu. So, you know, I will, I, I buy her more in this movie than Inspector um, because it feels like there is at least time with them together, right? They they could have formed some sort of relationship. But what I really love is the betrayal feels exactly like the end of Casino Royale. And you see this guy who he allowed himself to love once, right? And the worst possible thing happened. Mm -hmm. and Vesper betrayed him and he has never let that go. It's sort of like in Mission Impossible 1 where Ethan lost his entire team. Right. And like that driving force has uh, basically been in the background of all the following uh, Mission Impossible movies and certainly most recently. But the whole Vesper thing here really hit me. They go to her grave. You see Eva Green, even as a black and white portrait, is sort of like electric looking. Um, and I was thinking, like, are they, are they just going to do something and bring her back somehow? Like they could, they Imagine could do that. it. This is James Bond. They could do it. <laughs> there's a um, yeah, there's a film critic named Sierra Wardlow, and her, her review of this film is savage. But she did say that he's got more chemistry with someone who died four movies ago. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. But yeah, I, uh, I I think it's interesting the ways in which this movie honors slash refers to other Bond movies, and then the ways in which it doesn't. I mm -hmm. tweeted this out uh, this past week. 
uh, very tongue in cheek. It went. It, it got some good traction on Twitter. I basically said some mind blowing Easter eggs. No time to die, folks. And then I screenshotted this article from Radio Times uh, with the following headline: No time to die pays tribute to James Bond legends in Easter eggs. And I screenshotted one of the Easter eggs. It said. Craig orders a martini shaken, not stirred, just like Connery and other Bonds before. Oh my wow. God! <laughs> deep and, cut, deep uh, cut. Yeah, super deep cut, super deep. And, you know, and Josh Gollum. He wears a tuxedo. Like, yeah, and Josh Gollum was like, uh, uh, you know, in a nod to the other films, this character is also named James Bond. Uh, <laughs> no, like, but not very... only that, but he says Bond, James mm. Bond. Mm. What? Yeah. Um, so, so you know, I was. Uh, joking around because I think the shaken mustard is obviously something that's been part of every Bond sure. movie except yeah. Casino Royale. And the ca- Casino Royale um, does it the best because it's like, do, do I look like a give a damn? They made fun of it. Yep. Yeah, they made fun of it in that movie. But I think um, that, as you said in the pre-spoiler, Divindra, this is a Bond film that like plays around with the Bond formula in in many ways. Um, there are so many things in most Bond films. Uh, that are not in this movie, and vice versa. <laughs> uh, so, like, I was joking about it, the Martini shit, like, but, but if they hadn't done it, yeah, uh, th- that would have made sense. And when he says Bond, James Bond, it's not in a glamorous environment, right? No, it's in a, not it, at all. It's in yeah. a fun. It's a fun subversion of that yeah. common trope in the, in the like, Bond. Who, who are I you? I think the. Um... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. I actually think the uh, the most Bondy thing in the whole movie is that first action sequence, which is so classic Bond. Like the so good the the, the way the car, I mean, emits smoke and has Gatling guns right. from the yeah, yeah. like it's so so low tech, so sixties, like so yeah. classic. He jumps like, a bike. That's that's the biggest thing he does. You know, he jumps a yeah. bike up a big flight of stairs, but and that was in the trailers. But it still looks cool as hell in the movie. But Jeff, even yeah. even that opening, I agree with you. Everything you just said, but the thing is, uh, virtually every James Bond movie starts with some wacky stunt. Yeah, that yes. James Bond does. This mm-hmm. one does not start with that scene. Right, it starts right, with right, uh, and not even invasion. anything Bond related at all. It is right? home invasion of a, yeah. a character uh, who isn't him. The, the, who isn't yeah. him? Yeah, the only um, flashback in sixty years of the franchise. Ooh, oh, fascinating. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, that this movie really does play with the Bond formula. Uh, l- l- let me. Add, I want to get to like these other characters, Anna Armas and Lashana Lynch. Mm-hmm. But uh, let me ask you, uh, Phil Nobile Jr. Uh, h- how did you feel about the ways in which this movie was and was not like other Bond films? Well, when it leaned into it, it was a lot of fun. So what you guys were saying that you thought the opening sequence was the most uh, classic Bond. To me, it, the Cuba sequence is the most classic Bond. And specifically, oh, yeah. the moment where he takes the tray from the waiter, throws the tray to stop the scientist from running, and then drinks the martini. That was like so <laughs> yeah, Roger Moore. Yes. And, yes. It, and it delighted me. Uh, that was amazing. The the um, and, and there's another reference to a Roger Moore one. So there's in For Your Eyes Only, there's a, a scene where famously – there's a villain hanging from a, a car that's about to fall off a cliff. And Roger Moore didn't want to do this and, and thought it was too mean, but Bond kicks the car. He gives it a shove to knock it over. Like that's sort of nodded to with the, mm. uh, the Billy with Magnuson character. Billy Magnuson, yeah. 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 That stuff loved that. Um, the, that sequence is awesome, by the way, dude. That jungle sequence. Yes, uh, I did love dude, that. The so mist. The yeah. the uh, the other sort of staples were were interesting because wh- for some reason, again, first time in sixty years, there's no blood in the gun barrel moment. Mm. Oh. I don't know why they made that decision, but it's it's a uh, it's a curious one. And I, a, there's a cool uh, gun barrel moment in the movie. Like there's a movement where right. he walks. They they Which mirror the trailer, that shot. Yeah. 
There's yeah, a reference uh, to yeah to the gun. So belt cool. Thing. What, yeah. what what I think my you know I I don't know how connected this is to what you just said, but I did notice that the movie was very bloodless overall. Like yeah, as in literally, there was not that much actual blood on screen. Um, like for instance, when the the girl's mother gets killed in the opening scene, there's like no blood on that scene. A lot of feathers. We, Right, a lot of feathers. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just very striking because I've just been watching a lot of Squid Game and there is no <laughs> blood in that show. And so I'm like, oh, there's no blood in any of these action scenes. The only time there was blood was in this scene when Felix Leiter gets killed and he's like, oh man, R. that's R. a lot of blood. You have to then have blood in that scene, otherwise yeah. you sound ridiculous. R.I.P. Um, to a real one, by the way. Like uh, That that kind of hit me. It kind of felt reminiscent of who who was it that died in Quantum of Solace? And they Madness. tried to make that a big deal. Yes. Yes, and like there was this big emotional scene, and like he died in James Bond's arms. But Felix Leiter is his brother, like in a real yeah. way. So I, I was sad to see him go, but at least he was like still a big part of this movie. Yeah, Appreciate what did you think that. of uh, Felix Leiter's passing, uh, Phil Nobile Jr.? Did you feel like uh, did it, was did it was it effective for you? It, it was kind. I kind of sadly this this the trailers had shown so much that yeah, I knew yeah. that his action would be confined to a certain section of the film, and I kind of put it together in my head that that boat was where that was going to happen. Um, I enjoyed it, but join my church. Join yes. my church. <laughs> Good argument for not watching trailers, but go ahead. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> I mean, I will say I, I got all the way to the theater, but and was unspoiled on the end of this movie. So I. I, I oh yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah. Can we just say like? Can you imagine sitting there with this ending and going? We have to delay the release for eighteen months. <laughs> yeah, God, the story, no. story I heard yeah. is that there's a there's a DCP of this thing that's been sitting in China for eighteen months, and Eon has been sweating bullets waiting for it oh. to leak. I, I can I can only imagine <laughs> how, how impossible out. it is to keep that quiet for <laughs> yeah. that yeah. long. Like, yeah. wow. Yeah. I'm I'm impressed that very like none of us. I, I don't know if you knew Phil, Phil mm-hmm. Nobile Jr., but like none of us, I think, knew that they were going to do it. Um, and we we are usually privy to, or we hear about things like this, even involuntarily sometimes. So. Yeah, but no, I, sometimes you yeah. trip over a spoiler, but I I, I practice good mental hygiene in, on social media <laughs> yep. in terms of- <laughs> Got to mute I, the words. I, I muted yep. the hashtags and the words and all this other stuff. Listen, yeah. they, they tell us right in the title, guys. Like, this isn't, yeah. uh, I think, a big secret One of, this of the movie best too. titled Bonds ever. <laughs> tell, tell you what, the, the, this title for about five minutes, uh, back in about a month before they announced this title, the title for this movie was A Reason to Die. Ooh, wow. which if you think about the plot, that's definitive. That's a little, yeah, uh, yeah that's we, a little on the nose. <laughs> we know yeah. what we're talking about. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, Gun, Felix, James Bond in Gun to My Head. Yes, you know, F- Felix. Like. Felix was just a different kind of Felix, even within the two films uh, mm-hmm. that he had been in. He was just a lot more uh, ebullient and 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 fun loving. He seemed like in this until until he took that gut shot. Uh, but Felix you know, was always like a brooding, whispering kind of guy in in, in Casino and Quantum, and in this one he was like a little more raucous. In his dotage, yeah, I think. Uh, not to go back to the the title, but I, I do think it is a a Simpsons uh, situation where it's, you just forgot the comma. No, uh-huh. time to die. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. This belongs in the Hank Scorpio like lexicon. Yeah, when I saw Lionel that Hutz title, wrote the Lionel Hutz. Yes, yeah, Lionel Hutz wrote the title. Yeah. I, I knew that uh, that their brand partner Omega must have been really excited that the word time was in the title. Yeah, finally. Yeah, nice. Uh, so I want to talk about the Anna de Armas characters and Lashana Lynch characters. Um, I, I think that, the, you know, one thing that's kind of interesting is like this movie doesn't have Bond girls in the conventional sense of mm-hmm. that term. Right. Um, which is like because people that to, Bond. You have to ahead. ask if well, you have to ask if we if we can have Bond girls anymore. I think that's part of the yep. thing here. I think yep. I think uh, Madeline's mom might be the last woman we see die in a Bond movie. Hmm. Uh, it's possible. And I think that. The Anna de Armas character, I completely agree with you guys 
she's it, like in that Cuba sequence, both yeah. of uh, both of those women kick complete ass, and uh, the, I'm the setup actually for her, pretty disappointed by the way, that Anna de Armas. Yeah, yeah. Go, go ahead. No, go, go ahead. Go ahead. You're right. I was like, I'm disappointed that like they didn't like team up for the entire movie because like yes. that's when the movie roars to life is when Anna de Armas is in this movie. <laughs> She's she is complete badass in the movie and like has arguably the best action scene or like the second to best action scene. Like she's and she's so good in this a completely so novel uh, thing in the Bond universe, which is someone that just did a few weeks of training and is it is out there for their first time. I, I love yeah. that notion where she's just like just happy to be here. Right? You know, she's like, just happy. Yeah, she's not like so great. With, she's not like jaded and like yeah. you know weathered. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Her and setup it, entirely is, by the way, is a character who would completely mess up. Right. Right. Like she, right. She totally. Green, and he would have to no, bail her out. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But Phil, you know, what were you gonna say? Well, the well, it's all the more interesting and maybe miraculous that 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 was a sort of a late addition that happened after Craig had met her on Knives Out and and was taken with her performance and mm-hmm. they wrote a spot for her. I believe That's that amazing. that part might have been yeah. Felix's. I think Felix might have had Ooh. a little more uh, screen time before that part was written. Interesting. Wow. I think what that would well, that would have to... made Felix's death more impactful. I think if he was probably, like, probably yeah. that scene, yeah, probably would but, make that whole like uh, embarrassing will... changing sequence uh, a little different, right? Like if it was just Bond and Felix <laughs> in a changing room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think um, I have to say I am disappointed by how they handled Lashana Lynch slash 007's character. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't think she got enough opportunities to really... I think the the actress is enormously talented. I didn't think she got enough opportunities to really show how skilled she is in this film. Yeah, And yeah. also, I was pretty disappointed at the end of like, I would like James Bond to be reinstated as 007. It's I like, thought that was so clunky. It was like, yeah. if you, if you know mm-hmm. where we're headed here, like you don't have to give it back to him before he dies. Exactly. You don't, you yeah. don't have to. In fact, it's, it's actually like better if powerful. you don't. Right? Yes. More, way more powerful if yes. she was, she's 007 and he dies and she's 007. Like yes. that's, she, that's, oh. that's big. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I like don't understand why note. they did it. Phil, Phil, what were you going to say? Go well, ahead. I feel like it's a, pro- a producer note. Like he needs to die as 007. Right. He needs to have that number. So spot on. I think you're right. Yeah. But, you know, that's always been the thing with these movies is like the push and pull between, you know, uh, the the producer demands about like what a James Bond movie needs to be, right? Which is to say, have a villain with over the top machinations about, you know, taking over the world. And a great And also like trying to tell an interesting story that's grounded in this case. So we we haven't even mentioned through that. We have not mentioned. Robbie Malik as Safin, the the main <laughs> villain in this movie. Lucifer, Safin. He makes Let's such an right. impression yeah. with the liquid you, the yeah. the Lucifer. Um, we we need to step through that that shit because uh-huh. Uh-huh. It, it it sort of on the face of it doesn't make any sense to me. And maybe uh, maybe you guys can clear it up. Maybe mm-hmm. I just didn't grasp it because there's a lot thrown at you. It's two hours and forty five minutes. Yeah, and there's a lot of a lot of details that that are thrown at you. Uh, one of which is that they are uh, nanobots that kill you. <laughs> love it's your it. Favorite, it's your favorite Jeff. type of technology, Jeff. Oh, yeah. yeah. Love it. But also, um, <laughs> they need to be harvested? Is that what uh, my understanding is that wh- what is this har- harvesting? They're being harvested from the plants and then they're programmed. Is the thing mm, mm. that's why I got, but also that, that's the point no where sense. you don't need to care. You don't need to care. Why? Why is Madeline Swan somebody they know is tied to Spectre, the only one who can go see uh, what's his face, Blofeld? How, what? Yeah, why would you do that? Talk to doesn't well, it doesn't feel wise to send that person in there. You know, Maybe do you not. know how far away case. his chair is? 
<laughs> Nothing could yeah, happen to him. Cer- yeah. Certainly not in a place where you could reach through it and physically make contact with him. <laughs> but uh, I, I will say, Jeff, you know, you're right that it probably doesn't make any sense, but it does make for one of the coolest visuals ever in a Bond film where oh, mm-hmm. you, yes. like, you emerge into that field of them harvesting the things but again, with the like, fluorescent lights. It looks so <laughs> r- cool. But you know? unforced error. Like, why even mention nanobots? Who gives a fuck? Like, we're harvesting the DNA thing. Like, that's enough. I don't, well, you, we don't you need-, need the idea, like... First of all, I had no idea that this movie was going to be about a bioweapon that kills yeah, people. You know, timely. like and that that yeah, it kind of was like mm, unfortunate yeah. resonance with real well, life. Y- you but, understand why they delayed it too. You know, perhaps. like that's that's part of the reason. I'm sure money is the bigger reason, but also like it's the yeah, like we might not want this when when a pandemic is roiling, like you know, yeah. killing people. Like we might not want this thing to get out there. But yeah, um, but I think you like the idea of the nanobots in this virus actually i found to be extremely frightening like the concept yeah i thought was very frightening the idea that you can like kill someone in an extremely targeted way without them knowing that's why they have to be nanobots you know it feels like like all of that was again reverse engineered from this notion of he the person he kisses is the only person Uh, that will die Like all of that feels like, how yeah. do we get to there? <laughs> I don't disagree. Sleeping Beauty for James yeah. Bond. Yeah. Um, but uh, Phil Nobile Jr. Curious, like, what was your take on Rami Malek's uh, character in this film, and how did you feel it stacks up to other Bond films, uh, Bond villains? To me, it felt pretty much of a template. Where at the end, it's like this guy is just insane, just wants to kill everyone. Period. The end. We don't really need that much more for him. But what were your thoughts? Yeah, he's he's a little bit uh, cookie cutter in that regard. Um, I, I won't get into the uh, the trope of uh, us facial scars equaling a uh, villain, but like mm-hmm. Craig, I think had one that didn't out of all of them. Yes, Ma- uh, Matthew Almarek's character didn't, but yes, all of his all of his other villains have been disfigured in some way. Yeah, yeah. so that's you know that's a thing that's going to get phased out, I guess. Soon yes. enough. But uh, so. yeah, he he just kind of was half there, and I and I didn't understand his motivations beyond uh, wanting to wipe out Spectre because Spectre right. family, hashtag family. The Spectre stuff made a lot of sense to me. I'm like, this guy murdered, you know, they yeah. murdered his family. Really effective opening scene. They built that up really well. But then the twi- the the pivot from the pivot to video, basically from. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I want to kill Spectre too. Yeah. Let's murder millions of people around the world. The Quibi of it all. Never, yeah. Rough. yeah, never made <laughs> clear <laughs> who's the, the the Russian scientist guy's motivations were absolutely baffling. Yeah, to me. but yeah. I didn't care like, because he was so much fun to watch. He was. Yeah. He was hilarious. Yeah, he was. They threw him down an elevator shaft, and it was amazing because uh, magnets. Great tech. Uh, yeah. it, that was cool. That was <laughs> that, a that really was cool. So cool. You know, I, I had a Devinder tingle when I saw it. I was like. I, yep. I bet Davinder really loves the sequence they're, where they're they had surprise the, us the somehow. spinning bomb with the magnets that come out the side of it. Like, so badass. So, so cool. and so you know, cool. something that they did right with, with the villain part is that for whatever reason, Spectre refused to show you anything before Bond knew about it. And that's mm-hmm. just a weird hit for uh, your traditional Bond template. You come out of your title sequence, you see a villain plot set in motion – Bond gets folded in eventually. Like sometimes from Russia with Love, it takes 20 minutes to get to Bond. And, and you know, it's just a, it's a staple of the franchise. And for whatever reason, Spectre refused to give you anything that wasn't through Bond's point of view. And, and I think it weakened, you know, their attempts to sort of make a, a quote unquote traditional Bond movie out of that. This one, they brought it back with the, the kidnapping plot and, and with um, that whole thing with the scientist, which I found to be <laughs> uh, fun. It, it when they started with that kidnapping scene, I thought we were in for 
somebody understands this formula and somebody understands how to update this formula. And now we're going to get a 2021 Bond movie. Uh, and, and so that's, I think that's why it started on that footing with that bit. And, and the fact that it veered so wildly off course in the second half, it, it was a, it was a further fall, I think, yeah. than, than even Spectre had in its last third. Further fall. <laughs> Let me I'll, ask say, you. I'll say this for uh, for Rami Malek though. I kind of I appreciate that he plays it kind of uh, he plays it kind of like easy, right? He he doesn't really go hard. He doesn't go ham on this character mm-hmm. as uh, as some other Bond villains have. Like I think thinking back to Skyfall, as much as I like it, Javier Bardem is just like hamming it up in that movie you know whereas this one was like it's really it's rami malik's face it is his eyes which always look like a little like um you know like he, he can sell a disturbed character and his intonations and everything i kind of bought what his character was even though the timeline doesn't make sense right like he 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 yeah. invaded leah sidhu's home well, while she was a kid? child the, he is, I, was, I was shocked they did not age him up in the later scenes at right all. Yeah, well, like just, put some just gray, gray hair on him, you know. Like he is gray. I don't know, he is gray know. in the older later scenes. He's, mm-hmm. yeah, he's but, got gray but hair like, in there, and you don't see his face. No, I, saw, flashback. I saw some specs, but like not real, <laughs> not really. Like he doesn't, he, he doesn't yeah. seem noticeably older. Than, I mean, I guess we don't see his hair in the yeah. earlier scenes. Right? That's the but, thing about Rami Malek. Like, he has a really interesting face, you know, and I feel like he will always have like baby face syndrome in a way, except also look right. slightly nefarious. So it's the thing he cannot quite get away from unless they start putting more makeup on him or something. Um, I'll say this for his character, too. Like, by the time where I don't care about the the plot ending, like the world ending stuff, um, I cared more. He was like, oh, I'm going to go after, you know, the woman Bond loves. I'm going to take his child. And uh, until the kid doesn't want to be there and then I'll the just let him go. Like, yeah, whatever. What the fuck whatever. was that? that I don't was know so what weird. that was about. He, he spent, yeah. he, they spent like literally 20 minutes being like Bond trying to get this kid from her. Yeah. Yeah. And then all of a sudden. You oh, know, you don't want to like, be here? Right. Oh, that's my bad. Peace. My bad. Peace. Go ahead. Peace. You're, you're <laughs> all going to blow up. But there, that, there's that chase sequence towards the end, like where it's just like them. It's like a four by four, very slow car chase. But it felt like the end of Hard Boiled, where like the entire stakes are, well, you can't have a James Bond chase because you got a kid in the car seat. <laughs> you know, like the stakes are so mm-hmm. when I when I drive with my daughter, I am terrified <laughs> all the time, guys. Like it is it is a hard headspace to be in. So it's sort of I was like putting they went there. there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh but but it, it it is so baffling to me that the kid is saved through no heroic action yes, at all. It, there it's, is no there is no nothing Bond does to save that child. And yet we are in a situation where he could have they could have easily written him to do something cool to save the child. Yeah, I mean, they still had to point. invade and take down that whole base, you know. The, yeah. the kid no, wouldn't I, be I, out if he didn't do that. Yeah. I, I agree yes, with you on this one, Jeff. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's, it's a hear, weird moment it. where the kid comes out and she's like, how did you get out? She's like, I did what you said. I hid. And it's like, we didn't see any of that. And also, <laughs> like, you have heroes standing there who did nothing to achieve this. It's, I know. It's mm-hmm. weird. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's Especially because it follows actually a pretty cool scene where like, Safin like throws the pillow up in the sky and he's like, yeah. this is how threatening I am is these guards are going to rip the shit out of this pillow. You know, like <laughs> that's how bad I am. And yeah. then uh, when James Bond starts murdering his henchmen, he like hits a button and then yeah. like the platform descends, which is like, okay, I guess he anticipated this ex- exact scenario where <laughs> someone might shoot at his henchmen before him and he would need the, to go the one underneath flaw the in his plan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but then but it's, it's a cool thing. It's like, oh my God, the, he didn't save the girl. And it's yes. like, how is he going to save the girl? And it's like, oh, she just, oh, she, she just, just lets her she go. She just kind of walks away. She yeah. walks away. <laughs> it's bored. so weird. Yeah. You know, uh, uh Speaking of like uh, formulas, I want to put this one thing out there. Did you guys notice the sort of like uh, Chekhov supercar? 
which I found hilarious. Like in the MI6 base, there is like in the background, like one of those supercar Audis or something, which in a normal <laughs> Bond film, oh, he yeah. would use that yes. by the end of the movie. Yeah, this movie, yeah. no. No, it's just there. I, and we I look did away like the one it. gadget, though, with uh, uh, he made his head explode or yep. he blew his mind, blew his mind. Blew his mind. Uh, yeah. Good line. Good, good moment. Really cool. I, I audibly uh, <laughs> gasped when the eye exploded. It was cool. That was good. That was cool. It was one of I, my favorite parts of the third act. And it was on the heels of that really long single take of them fighting in the stairway, uh, which was like finally a little bit of Kerry Fukunaga in there. Yeah. 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 I, I feel like the movie is paced really weird because the whole time I'm thinking to myself, okay, this is, I'm watching the first hour. You got the opening amazing home invasion sequence you got the where are they uh, in italy where where's the mm-hmm. uh, yeah, greece i think it's greece, greece. or wherever yep. Matera, italy yeah oh, it's, it's italy's pardon me so also amazing i'm like this is this is spectacular then you have the cuba sequence i'm like holy shit this is like i'm like i love movies i, I love, love movies. movies i'm watching <laughs> this movie i'm not... like uh, so grateful so blessed to be watching this movie right so now. Good. <laughs> and then it grinds to all, and then i'm thinking okay well maybe they're mm-hmm. gonna bring it back with a spectacular finale and I just didn't feel it like didn't. the finale ever got there. Even, even that single take yeah. feels a little slow. And it I feels agree. like Daniel Craig kind of like almost showing his age to where he's like, I can only do so much, guys. We <laughs> took so long to make this movie. I'm, I'm going to go up these stairs. And I'm going to punch a few dudes. And that is it. OK, that's all I've got in me. Uh, I don't want to skip over, by the way, amid all the globes, uh, tr- you know, trotting the Jamaica sequence. Which I really loved. I don't know. Did they go back to the uh, the like? Is that the Goldeneye compound? No, that's a that, that's, that's a set that they built uh, in in Port Antonio, Jamaica. They built gotcha, it specifically gotcha. for his uh, thing. Um, yeah, it, it's it's cool to see Bond in Jamaica. It's cool to he see. Goes to he goes, goes to the club. He goes to the club with Felix. I loved it. It was it was fun. It was cool. Yeah. Well, that's a that's a question I have for you guys. Right? Is I think for me the two kind of remaining questions that I have when watching this movie and, and thinking about Craig's time as Bond is number one, you, you and you already made reference to it earlier, like how did serialization work for, mm-hmm. for this version of Craig uh, or this version of Bond played by Craig? And, and the second question is like, what do we want the tone of Bond films to be in the future? Because that's, a, that's for, the for, question. Yeah. yeah. For, for me, they're always like really fun, silly romps over the top gadgets um, over the top misogyny and yeah, you know like yeah. all these all these things that were relics of this older era that people could nonetheless um, have fun with by recognizing what what they were right um, and these all feel like a response to the Bourne movies yep agreed you know? uh, not only Bourne movies but Marvel. I would argue also like shared universe movies like uh, honestly Marvel movies yeah, um, yeah. honestly yeah. like this movie literally is some Daniel Craig going to see Logan and coming out and going I want one of yes. those yes <laughs> absolutely <laughs> that you you yeah. nailed it and Bill. I think yeah. I think it's a mixed bag when it comes to serialization story. You know, Jeff, I know you were saying like this might be a cool way to do it. I agree with you if they actually have a plan and do it well. I don't think this was done well. You know, like yeah. No, I agree with you. Yeah. I, that's yeah. my point is yeah. that it feels mm-hmm. like they decided that in the fourth movie to do it this way and I, this is the fourth movie, right? Fourth or fifth. Fifth. Uh, fifth, fifth, excuse yeah. me. They decided in this movie to do it this to do it this way and then had all this heavy lifting to do to sort of make it work. And I feel like my hope is that the lesson from this movie is okay. Now we're going to do a beginning, middle, and end Bond uh, arc of films, and we will we will decide on who the new Bond is, and we will make the movies knowing that they are going to connect and they are going to have a, an arc. I think that's a great mm-hmm. great mm-hmm. way to do it, and I hope they do. Well, let me Phil Nobel Jr. Like, you... Wait, wait. Phil just said he hates it. Go yeah, ahead. I yeah. hate that idea. All right. So here's yeah. the thing: when you got a shitty Bond movie back in the day. 
Yes. It did not have any bearing on what the next movie was going to be. Exactly. And the problems mm-hmm. of Spectre haunt this movie and, and came yeah. with it. So, and, and that's 100% a continuity problem. Like continuity is an albatross hanging around this film's neck. If, it, if they didn't feel the need to connect to other things, it wouldn't have to do that. And here's another problem with continuity. Uh, who, who's the first person everybody talks about to play the next James Bond? Idris Elba. Idris Elba's 50 years old now. He yeah. can do one or two. Don't tie him to a four-film contract, but if you start with the idea that you need a four-film contract, suddenly there's whole demographics, whole guys that are out of the running because they can't play him for 10 years. Well, I would argue part of part of the problem with the way they've been doing these movies, Phil, is that we get like one of these movies every like five years. Exactly. You, know, like, you can imagine it. but you and it's because, you know, that's very like deliberate. But maybe they could start making them more often. You know, you could you could mm-hmm. imagine them doing two of them back to back. They they like could yeah. with the new Amazon money. Maybe that's a thing they could do. But I don't yeah. think they will do that. I think I think the move would be to acknowledge that you're only going to get one every five years and stop worrying about tying a guy to a five film contract. And then you get one Edris Elba Bond movie. You get one mm. like you could get you could fuck around and get really cool standalones because I do think that they have to move away from what they've just done. So just just mm-hmm. as they can't go to Fassbender or Dan Stevens and do. Daniel Craig 2.0, you know, they've got to come up with like a new tone, right? Which means a new creative team uh, who can, like, to me, the dream would be, how do you make a funny bond? How do you make a Roger Moore funny kind of winking, unflappable bond work in, in 2024, yeah. right? With Jason Statham basically P- doing his spy character. Potentially. Yeah. Uh, he was great in Spy. That was the great. best, my favorite spy movie of 2015, I think. Um <laughs> I, I thought tonally the movie is like I agree with what you're saying in in some ways. It would be interesting to see them try the serialization thing, but I, they made such a mess of it in this this last you know mm-hmm. five films. Yeah, curious what you thought about the tone as well. Like, uh, you know, there are some good wine liners like Jeff referenced. Like, you know, it blew his mind. It's like oh, <laughs> time classic, to die, classic yeah. Bond. You know, amazing. But the rest of bon- like Craig's run has been so down to earth and gritty that it it to me. The tone often feels like it's at odds with itself. Um, Phil, curious what you think of this, and I'm, I would love to hear from the other guys as well. Yeah, I agree with you. I, th- I think, and, and that's what frustrated me about it, that, that there was some stuff I'd been waiting five films to see, but it was attached to a rather leaden mm. downer story that, um, again, was tra- trapped. It was just painted into a corner to some degree. So as much as they were trying to have fun with it, there was a certain um, li- bucket list that they had to get through uh, to get to the ending that has been that had been predetermined, which uh, you know, not to gossip, I heard that that was the reason Craig came back. He wanted he wanted his bond to die. <laughs> Please kill me. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, th- <laughs> this to me, it, it at least felt more down to earth inspector. I'll say that. But go ahead, Jeff. Yeah. Well, I, I'm just curious how you even get to a campy bond in you know right. the 2020s. Yeah. Right. Like That's does a, a does a camp uh, does a campy bond make three, four hundred million dollars? I don't think it does. I don't know. I think that's that's why they they do yeah. they did this this with Daniel Craig is because mm-hmm. that's the kind of franchise that makes that kind of money. That's they made that true post Austin Powers world, basically. Well, yeah. You, know, yeah. So you guys keep talking about Bourne, but to to me that the dourness comes from cr- the Chris Nolanization of of blockbusters mm, where we have to make too. everything serious <laughs> and take we can't we have to be embarrassed of our outrageous entertainments we can't we can't um just that's such a great line yeah um but you know I, and i know it doesn't have its uh, it has its detractors and i think the second movie was shit but uh, kingsman proved that you could make like an outrageous fun crazy spy movie in in this oh, era sure. and make it work sure but mm. it, it is it is you, all you connected such a good point yeah it, it's a good <laughs> point uh, i will say this though 
if you when we're talking about very different movies and different actors playing the same character and whatnot, it just brings to mind everything that's going wrong with WB right now. Like how many <laughs> how many Batmans are there? Like what it, what is happening with Batman? I am so confused. Uh, I will go. You know, I want to see the Robert Pattinson Batman, but I just had the Ben Affleck Batman. Yeah, you know, it's like I'm. I actually As a dis- consumer. It's I actually a little disagree. Yeah, I actually disagree on this one. I think let a million flowers bloom yep. when it comes to <laughs> but they, the DC they all, universe. They don't all have to be Bond. You have all these other characters. Give us, <laughs> give us, you know, the 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 one actually focused on Lashana Lynch's character. Bring in Naomi Harris and do her justice. Finally, you know, as an, as an action star, there's so many things you can do within this universe. Like if they have the Amazon movie, m- make an MI, uh, an MI6 uh, TV series that actually has a ton of money behind it. Like the universe does not look the same as it did over the last few decades. So I, I don't think every Bond thing has to be a 100 or $200 million movie. Yeah. That's all. I think and that not, phase happens that when, when the Broccoli's retire. I think that's yes, what you're looking at. Absolutely. I love what you just said, Phil, about uh, sort of being embarrassed about our blockbuster mm-hmm. entertainment. I mm-hmm. just think that's so spot on. I mean, it describes the Snyderverse, yep. uh, I think, to a T. And I would argue, I know I'm a little bit of a homer here, but I would argue <laughs> that uh, Marvel is a great example of them being willing to have fun and be a little goofy and, yep. and not take things too seriously and, and joke and have a light feel and light touch. Um, and... I think that would be a really cool thing to bring back to Bond. I just don't know how they do it. How would they do it? You know, another good example, though, is uh, Hashtag Family, the Fast and Furious franchise. <laughs> they are the ultimate spies right now in theaters. So, Speaking of homers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but I guess, uh, I, I don't know, Jeff. I mean, I, I guess I feel like we've listed a few examples of how others have been able to do it. Um, the yeah, question is but just I, whether I, Bond is going to go that way, right? I think you make yeah. such a great point about the post Austin Powers world, where you, yep. like, how, wh- how do you live between Sirius and Austin Powers? Yeah, like, you know, it's it, you can't go too close to Austin yeah. Powers because then you're a parody of yourself. Yeah, how about but, how about Armando Inucci's James Bond? You're close. You know, like, <laughs> mm. I, I mean, honestly, Edgar yeah, Wright and Joe Cornish could do the next Bond movie. Oh, absolutely, and and don't, it would bring humor. Like, it would bring it would bring uh, a knowing uh, an embrace of the franchise. These those guys aren't afraid of that franchise, and they're not embarrassed of it. They, yeah. would, they would bring affection and updated humor to it in a way that I think it needs to be. Because if you go Dan, with another it, dour serious Bond, what, you're starting the things. slow. You're starting the slow Sully again, and I'm like, <laughs> yeah, that would be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah, that would actually yeah. be my dream. Yes. Yeah. Go ahead, Phil. What were you saying? Well, no, I just I just think that there's nothing but failure ahead of them. If they try to make more dour, serious bond movies, like they've done it, we've had the Daniel Craig experiment and it mm-hmm. lasted 15 years. Uh, you have to, you have to pivot. Roger Moore was not Sean Connery. And and everyone thought that when it would die after Sean Connery. Roger Moore made it last for like tw- a dozen years. Um, that you just, you have to shift. Edgar Wright has been gone on record saying that bond has to, pivot between milk chocolate and dark chocolate <laughs> and, Ooh. <laughs> and, and you know this has been the, been the dark chocolate period and we have to go to for another flavor at this point i wonder if part of it is like if i'm imagining an edgar wright directed you know james bond movie i feel like it'd be very self-aware you know there'd be like a lot of self-awareness mm-hmm. of like the tropes being invoked and stuff like that well, it would be meta postmodern, perhaps you know could could know. be, but I I feel like uh, when he goes uh, a martini and the waiter says shaken or stirred, he goes, "Do you think I give a damn?" Like that's pretty meta, and that's mm-hmm. right there in Casino Royale. It's it's oh, I think the series has been meta and self referential since Sean Connery came back for Diamonds Are Forever. 
like that's when it stopped sort of rowing forward completely. Do you think that Bond, uh, the next iteration of Bond has has to be self-referential and meta because it's post Me Too? Like because it's it's living in a world where the entire conception of what Bond has traditionally been is just kind of mm. unacceptable now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know if it has to be postmodern or meta I, I was just kind of listing a way where it might be able to continue while still possessing some of the elements that it used to have you know what i mean but like, yeah i feel the, like it has to poke it, it has to wink wink nudge nudge at the audience uh if it's going to attempt to right. even reference any of those old sort of tired um you know I frankly agree. sexist I, parts of of bond i think entire, that's a, I think entire that's chunks of earlier bonds by the way like those movies just have sean connery slapping women who are nice to him <laughs> <laughs> like that's yeah. going back and watching those movies is kind of tough now uh, thinking about like what was normal then yeah yeah i think uh or i, I don't know about normal but like certainly not accepted as yeah cer- certainly accepted yeah no one blanched yeah yeah let me but let me put this out there i feel like casino royale was such a brilliant kind of almost deconstruction of Bond in some ways, Mm -hmm. in the sense that here was a Bond who didn't give a shit about his martini, um, who fell in love with the woman that he slept with, right? Drove a crappy little Ford at the beginning. Right, Mm -hmm. his his gadgets were like laughably primitive when you compare them to like what the other Bonds have done. And I feel like, unfortunately, what every subsequent Bond film has done since then is or not not every but like specifically Spectre in this movie right mm-hmm. ha, is taken a step towards camp is these movies Spectre mm-hmm. and No Time to Die are way more like uh, the Roger Moore era Bond than Casino Royale was in my opinion and just from the villain's perspective I yeah guess, from a villain's I, perspective uh, yes correct but I think um, the, the central character I mean Bond himself is not. I, I think uh, that's I think, right. I think that's, but if you look at like Spectre and I mean, he sleeps with a woman on the day of her husband's funeral, Jeff, and it does it like in a not cool way, you know, like I feel like <laughs> there's a cool like, way to do that. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like he does it, you know, like I'm like, oh, this is like, oh, when I'm watching Spectre. I'm like, oh, OK, so we're back to Bond behaving like total trash, you know, like, yeah, that was kind of my reaction when I watched Spectre. Um, and so I feel like to some degree, this sh- this series of movies didn't even fully honor what was laid out in Casino Royale, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, but, you know, yeah. it occurs to me one other thing, I, I don't mean to keep talking, but uh, the, 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 we haven't referenced um, Mission Impossible movies, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I think are clearly also, um, you know, in the conversation as far as uh, reactions in the cultural yeah. zeitgeist. And I think one of the things that always works so well for me with the Mission Impossible movies is that the movies are... <sighs> I mean, you guys are probably going to correct me when I say this, but I, I my impression of them is that they are very frequently not about the Tom Cruise character as a character, 100%, as a person. Hundred percent. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like they're about this like procedure. It's, they're procedurals. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, and I they're think, action jazz. We've talked about this. Too. <laughs> yes. Like it's just like Tom Cruise gets an idea for a stunt, and like yeah. he works with whoever the director is at that time. He's like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to train two years to do this dumb thing. <laughs> We're going to turn into engineer movie. from that stunt. What Absolutely. The gonna but be. now yeah. I think with the Macquarie movies, they're also actually both doing that and going into the character. Like yeah. I, I well, mentioned before, yes, but like, starting he has to, yeah. a sense of loss. Yeah, they're yeah. starting to, and yeah. I, and I and I worry about that, frankly. But mm-hmm. I think that's kind of the hallmark of the Roger Moore movies. Well, is that 
it was just Bond doing cool stuff. Mm. And and you know? Connery and and to be honest, Fleming Fleming's character Jeff was conceived that way. He's an avatar for the reader to live through, right? So yeah. he doesn't yeah. have an yeah. arc. He doesn't have a journey. He's a constant. And what happens within that plot is like the, the you know the the Bond girls were the ones that had the arcs and the journeys and, and you know the deaths. Um, and that's why that's why folks called Judy Dench's M the Bond girl of Skyfall because it's her. She's the one that has a, like the actual you know. Mm. Uh, significant arc, arc. Yeah. Um, yeah but yeah you're right and and i think that's one of the reasons that that tom cruise's mission impossible movies have been so successful because people are going there to get the thing that they used to get from the bond movies whereas the bond movies have become more interested in the sort of the flip side of the fleming books where he did have an inner life and he did doubt his job and he did get morbid and morose in his head about what he was doing and why but people forget the casino royale was set up to just sort of give you a reason it was going to give you a backstory to explain why the bond you've been watching for right. all those decades was the way he was. And, right, then they, yes. and then they just sort of forgot to make him that bond after that Casino Royale. Yeah. yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. then, I well, I mean, I, I would argue they did to some degree, right, in the next couple movies. Uh, actually, do I? Am I going to argue that? No. <laughs> no. I, no. I, I mean, well, maybe I, I, for okay. half a quantum? I don't know. Yeah. So I, yeah. Okay, but I think Inspector, again, like what, what he did to Monica Bellucci in that movie is still like pretty upsetting to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I think they were patting themselves on the back that they didn't kill her. Mm-hmm. Because that was yeah. some backlash that happened with the, the Severine character in Skyfall. Where she in got Skyfall, f- right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, I guess, I, so I guess we see some of that, Phil. Would you agree that we see some of because the idea is like oh this is why he doesn't love women right is because he lost this one love that was so important to him and I guess I feel like we start to see some of that creep back in towards these last two movies somewhat to to me the weird 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 thing about his whole run is that it's it's used on Her Majesty's Secret Service as its template over and over and over again to the point where in this film giant chunks of the score are replicated tracks from John Barry's score for On Her Majesty's Secret Service to spoiler dropping the Louis Armstrong song from the 1969 movie over the end credits of this movie. It's really a weird, weird choice to do this. Yeah. Can you tell us about that template for those who are not as, uh, as big Bond scholars as you are? Well, so if you, you got five Connery movies where, as we discussed just now, Connery, Connery's a constant. Connery doesn't grow or doesn't change. He doesn't have an arc. In On Her Majesty's Secret Service, Bond falls in love. Bond gets married and Bond loses his wife. And it's it's the only time Bond has had any sort of emotional arc up to that point. They come immediately reverse their decision, brought Connery back for 1971's Diamonds Are Forever, <laughs> did not reference that he'd been widowed or anything like that. He faces off against Blofeld again, but I think people are filling in the gaps that it was a revenge movie. It's not. It's a standalone Bond film. Um, and we don't hear mention of Bond's wife again until 1981 when he's at the grave at the beginning of mm. Free Your Eyes Only. Um and, and, you know, for a while, for decades, On Her Majesty's was a dirty little secret of the franchise. They, leave, they left it out of montages for, like, advertising, you know, box sets and things like that. Lazenby didn't get invited to things. And, and somewhere in the last 10 years, probably when Steven Soderbergh wrote a really great essay about why it's the best Bond movie, On Her Majesty started to get some respect. And so it starts to bleed into uh, the films and the Casino Royale where he loses the love of his life. Obviously, it's an echo to that. And... um Weirdly enough, the trailer, one of the trailers for Spectre, had a, a hint of the On Her Majesty's Secret Service score in there, and and everybody got excited thinking that Spectre was going to be some sort of revisionist version of On Her Majesty's, and it ended up not being that. But the script for Spectre, so that so you might have heard in in this film, uh, 
he tells her we have all the time in the world. And at the end, he tells her you have all the time in the world. That's a line from On Her Majesty's Secret Service. And mm. that's the and name of the song it, it, from that film. Isn't it exact, the exact same car in the exact same shot? From on her when she dies, no, isn't it different? Different car. The the it's a different car because the car that we see in No Time to Die is Timothy Dalton's car from The Living Daylights. It's a 1987 Aston Martin. Uh, for some reason, um, uh, well, it's I, close. I, but I was I, I I clearly don't know the franchise as well as you, and and um, it's been a long time since I saw In Her Majesty's Secret Service, but I I did have this sort of vague recollection that they were sort of mirroring some um because. Isn't it, isn't it famously, isn't it, she dies like as they're driving away? As they're driving away from their wedding. Yeah. 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 And, and they're in, there's like this beautiful shot and we think they're going to live happily ever after. Yes. And then she's, yeah. Mm. Yeah. And she's so there's down. some, there's some sort of mirroring of that, right? Absolutely. But yeah, and there's mirroring and there's echoing. And this is what this franchise has been doing for 50 years is echoing, call, doing callbacks. But to, to drop the whole score on there is really, really a weird choice. And someone, someone in my other my James Bond and Friends podcast said it was kind of a shame because you you actually didn't end up didn't didn't, didn't get a, a Hans Hans Zimmer score because when he's not riffing on the title song that Billie Eilish did he's riffing <laughs> on on Her Majesty's and where's the score for this movie this also is riffing the least, on uh, themes yeah. from uh, David Arnold's stuff too like there there's yep. a lot of Casino Royale yep. the the Vesper theme is in there mm-hmm. the City of Lovers uh, track from Casino Royale which is fantastic is kind of in this movie in correct a bit. yeah that I, Billie Eilish song though whoo, awesome it. so, so, so good but yeah She's this amazing. is the least Hans Zimmer score <laughs> I've heard in like decades right like, yeah. I was just like. Where you know you did not need to get Hans Zimmer to do this score. Wait, wait, right. Dave, you like mean uh, Hans Zimmer Zara. spent this entire score uh, making somebody else's music? <laughs> That's never happened before. <laughs> just collecting, just collecting a paycheck and being like, yeah. oh yeah, the thing yeah. from the previous movie. Let's just like add a couple notes. Yeah, call that, it that's day. basically you know, pirates. Basically, that's what basically so many things he's done. Lately. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but. Uh, and it, you're saying what Hans Zimmer did with the Pirates franchise because Klaus Bedelt wrote the music for the Pirates exactly. one, right? and Klaus Bedelt and like, was, was like one of his like uh, his uh, protégés basically his but, underlings uh, yeah. yeah this exactly. one is I just like saying that's basically what pirates do yeah it is what it's, pirates uh, do it's, it's both it's both Jeff <laughs> yeah. but, um, bring David but Arnold that's, back that's all I'm saying bring him back for the it's fascinating yeah it's fascinating Phil like the, the arc that you just outlined of like this movie uh, basically being kind of the, the sorry the the uh, the Majesty's Secret Service kind of being like this ignored movie that wasn't very like people weren't super proud of it that now has become like the template for this movie. Quite yeah. an arc for that movie, right? Yeah, it's like the, it's the emotional mm-hmm. touchstone of the thing. And with and weirdly, this is just more of a fandom thing. What Roger Moore passed a couple of years ago, and he had always been sort of this very enthusiastic ambassador of the franchise. And I and you see Lazenby sort of taking that place now, showing up at events and stuff. It's uh, it's the, it's a weird weird legacy that that former Bonds tend to have. And I don't I don't think. I don't. I don't imagine Craig will be doing that anytime soon. That's nice. Well, Dalton is already doing that quite a bit too. Like Dalton in yeah. uh, in Hot Fuzz is very like riffing on a lot of things we know him from. Yeah, and yeah. he's came back. He's come back for Doom Patrol, which is cool. So good. And yeah. yeah, it's it's cool to see like the life after Bond for some of these guys. And I guess Craig will have a, a long career as a Benoit Blanc uh, at this point. <laughs> That'll be fun. Yeah. If if yeah. you want to see former James Bond uh, Timothy Dalton have sex with a cave woman, please watch Doom Patrol. Oh, cool! I will. It's fantastic. <laughs> All right. Thank it's you. really good. Thank you for that. Yeah, a <laughs> uh, couple odds and ends. I, you know, there's probably a couple things we haven't brought up yet. I'll just mention like one moment in the movie that I really appreciated that hasn't come up, which is, and it's actually in the trailer. Is there's a moment at the uh, part of the the first action scene in the movie, not the uh, opening with the home invasion, but the 
which also like is incredible. Like with the bullets going through the glass, the ice. Mm-hmm. I just thought that Dude. was the whole thing was so good. Amazing. Um, but uh, one of my favorite moments that was like actually like a, a nice character moment for Daniel Craig's Bond in this movie was uh, when they're surrounded by dudes. Yes, absolutely. And, and yeah. like they're filling up the vehicle with bullets. And then there's one guy, the guy with the bionic eye, yes, walks so up to the car and starts pumping shotgun shells like right into the car. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you see like a close up on the like the bulletproof glass as like the glass is slowly being chipped the away. Sound design yeah. is so good there too. And like incredible. you can hear it. Yeah. And yeah. he has to do like just begging for her life. <laughs> and then like after an interminable wait, Daniel Craig says, you know, uh, okay. He's like, okay, you you've convinced me that like you didn't do this at least. That was kind of my sense, or at the very no, least, no, no, you don't no, want no, to no. die he, right now. He, uh, yeah, it's more <laughs> like that. He doesn't want to let her die, but it is such a great moment of inaction, right? We <sighs> all we often talk yes. about action through character, right, and mm. what that tells us about a character. This one's just he's just sitting there, and it is so I like, I, I don't, so. Tense. I don't know if I've ever seen that in a Bond film before. Yeah, you know, yeah. like I, I, Phil, you can keep me honest here. Maybe he has done that before, but no, no, this um, is very much him. Well, you know, the closest echo is in the end of Casino Royale, where the guy with the eye patch, mm. another one-eyed villain, uh, mm. the guy with the eye patch says, "I'll kill her," and he goes, "Allow me." Oh, that's right. He's like they—they they had two eye problem guys in that movie, actually, if I recall correctly, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Two eye problem well, guys in this movie. God, yeah, man. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of but eye anyway, trauma. Go, yeah, a lot of eye trauma. Um, but yeah, so so in general, he hasn't done anything like that. But I just thought that was such a cool, um, yep. moment, and and also like, I don't know, it felt like a weird. Um, you usually, you know, when you watch like a a Pierce Brosnan Bond movie, like Pierce Brosnan has done something incredibly badass. Right before the opening credits roll, and it was there's just something so wistful about this one, uh, where you know he's sending off Leah Sadu on a train before the opening credits roll. I just thought it was like, oh, uh, that's why I, my expectations were so high at that point. I was like, oh my gosh, yeah. this is going to completely upend the Bond formula, yeah. you know. And then it didn't really. No, but mm-hmm. well, I tell you, I had a little panic attack there because I don't know if you've been following the rumors, but sort of like drive-by fans and casual folks have been saying, oh. Uh, Rami Malek is playing Dr. No. They're bringing Dr. No back. Oh, boy. Dr. No. Why that would have no back? It makes that no sense. Well, well, it's Jamaica and there was a missile. And I'm like, stop it. There's no, there's no, he's not <laughs> playing Dr. No. And then, and then he sticks her on that train and the fucking title sequence starts and the Dr. No dots come up. I don't know oh, how many yeah. title sequence, but those dots are like literally from the Dr. No title sequence. And I've said, oh, no. Huh. And I'm I was, glad, I'm glad it didn't happen that way. But yeah, I, I think. One of the most painful lines in all of Bond history has been uh, Christoph Waltz saying, "It's me, James, the author of all your pain," uh, with absolutely no follow-up explanation of that no. whatsoever. No, no. <laughs> then he says "cuckoo," uh, I believe. Is that when he cuckoo. says "cuckoo"? Because Spectre, <laughs> God damn that movie, still yeah. haunts me. Yeah, the movie's so bad, and I, I was so upset at how. They tried to make it into a shared cinematic universe without putting in any of the effort. Jeff, this reminded me so much of like the DC movies, honestly. Right? Yes, like, that's yeah. what I've been early, saying. Yeah. Early DC era of like, yeah, they they just didn't put in any effort. Now, I think the DC universe has gotten a lot better since then, right? Like you've had at this point four to five genuine hits in a row, right? Yeah. Uh, Wonder Woman, Shazam, um, other movies that I can't Aqu- think of right now. Aquaman, I thought was pretty <laughs> Aquaman, fun. Aquaman, yeah. right, exactly, yeah. exactly. You know, uh, and so you've had a bunch of like, uh, um. What was that one that just came out recently? Not the Snyder Cut, the um, Birds of Prey. You know, mm-hmm. that yeah, didn't do yeah. that well, but like, or uh, Suicide, Suicide Squad. Squad. Yeah. Okay. I guess I guess those movies didn't do that well, but I like them. You know. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, 
Any other like moments or things from this movie that you guys want to bring up that we didn't get to during our, our main discussion? Well, of it? I, I just want to say yeah. sort of generally that the least interesting way to do Bond for me is that it's part of a paramilitary effort. Uh-huh. You know, like yeah. like battleships and and right. uh, jets and and shit. Like none of that to me is interesting. You don't it, like Bond gravity planes, Jeff? Singular. There's a plane flew with gravity. <laughs> I mean, that was cool. And that, that part where cool, it goes yeah. under the water was pretty sweet. Yeah, but that's yeah, like yeah. Bond and one other person in a cool gadget. Yeah, I'm talking about like yeah, you yeah. know, t- call the navy yeah, and, call, and, yeah, and interact the with them. Yeah, yeah. yeah, like that. That to me is. I want Bond to be this maverick lone force that can only do it because he's by himself or with one or two other people. You know, like mm-hmm. that's that to me is what James Bond is. It's not, you know, I'm an arm of a government entity that <laughs> right, has right, right. countless troops and resources. I, that, I agree completely. I think there's a happy medium between this and mm-hmm. like Skyfall's I'm in a house by myself playing Home Alone with some. There's some happy medium between those two things. He set traps so. in the forest in this movie. You know, you got to set traps. It says if you want to be a loner. But also I have to say, like, we, we have to reckon with a lot about James Bond as a character, not just the misogyny and everything, but also like it, it is a vehicle for british imperialism okay yes. right like that that is the idea he is britain's <laughs> yep. superman he could do whatever he wants he's beholden to nobody right he's always saving the world for the for the better of the world he will kill as many people as he needs to and whatnot um i kind of hope like eventually they kind of reckon with that maybe like maybe get a bond from a former british territory um mm. i was born in one of those and like the the shadow of the British empire is, is laid over everything. Like, I'm glad this movie actually went to Jamaica uh, because that is a country that's still like dealing with a lot of issues because of that. So, Hey, maybe we can think a little more about like what this character is and where they're from too. Yeah. I think it's a great point. I I wish they'd gotten a little more into that with Jamaica. I, it was part of my two and a half year thread was uh, talking about bond returning bond to present day Jamaica is, is sort of an interesting way to kind of recontextualize, Bond's place in the world and Britain's place in the world and, and, re- and a reckoning with its colonial uh, history. Uh, mm-hmm. And I kind of didn't do anything with it, sadly, but no, uh, you no. know, he, he to, gets a villa, he gets to take over a club. Basically. He basically gets to be I mean, the British yeah. imperialist in, uh, yeah. in Jamaica. Yeah. Yeah. But the other, the other point about the, um, not, not wanting to see a, a paramilitary situation. That's a, that was a big selling point of the movies. The, the poster for Dr. No said the double O means he has a license to kill when he chooses, where he chooses, whom he chooses. His autonomy was like a big selling point for the middle-class schlubs that like yeah. didn't yeah. had to report to a boss or a wife or a family, yeah. you know, that he could just do whatever the fuck he wanted was kind of the thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, Devendra, I, I agree. Like, I'm curious how this franchise is going to reckon with this character. And I, I've been reflecting on, do you guys realize how much stuff happened since the last Bond movie? Uh, uh, yeah, that came was out? five. That was like, six years ago. That the, was 2015. The entire, the entire Donald Trump administration. Yeah, was since the last Bond movie happened. Um, the Me Too movement, the pandemic, uh, the George Floyd murder and protest. Basically, so much stuff has happened. And I had two kids. Yeah, wow. You yep. had two kids. You yep. know, so like uh, some of us got married and had kids in that time, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, it, there's been many changes and I'm just very, very curious moving forward how uh, the caretakers of this franchise 
are going to bring Bond into a new era and make him continue to be relevant. Absolutely. And we, we didn't um, mention so, this, by the way, but Phoebe Waller-Bridge also worked on the screenplay. I don't know what, exactly what her like contributions were. You could spot, like like, spot the contributions. I, I can't, but it's more like... Maybe some of the just, one-liners and jokes. Yeah, right? I think the actual funny lines definitely I, dialogue I would probably pass, yeah. attribute to her. Yeah, yeah. But maybe more, yeah. more people like her involved, please. Yeah. All right, folks. I think we can wrap it up there because at the end of the day... It's extremely impressive that Kari Joji Fukunaga made a James Bond movie. Yeah, we can uh, all agree on that. We can Incredible. all agree on that. Thanks, Jeff. Um, uh, the You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes from adamwarrock.bandcamp.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker and YouTuber Kyle Hillinger. Our weekly plugs music comes from Noah Ross. This episode was edited by me and Beatty Zhang. Uh, next week is going to be the October 19th episode of uh, uh, the Filmcast. We'll be reviewing Halloween Kills during that episode, which is going to be out in theaters and streaming on Peacock. Uh, until then, Phil Nobile Jr., it's been such a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much for schooling us on the history of Bond. Thank can you, you tell people where they can find more of your work online or anything you want to direct them to? Uh, sure. Thanks for having me. I, just go to Fangoria.com and uh, subscribe to our newsletter. I, I've usually I got an editorial happening every week via email that is a lot of fun to talk about. And uh, the magazine comes out four times a year. You can subscribe at that same link. All right. Thanks so much, Phil. Uh, we hope to welcome you back in a future episode, but it's been a blast. Um, and I'm sure our listeners appreciate your exp- your Bond expertise as well. Hey, by the way, are you going to bring a close to that Twitter thread? Is it is it is it done or <laughs> are you going to just last, keep it going until the, the next last Bond one? I have, to f- I have to think about the final one. I posted my review and I'm not sure if I put anything after that. Yeah. But Happy, happy Daniel Craig. It has to be a happy Daniel Craig. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. To, to be determined. Right. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Filmcast. We'll see you later. The credits is done.